here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich Crate alongside, as always, the king of banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what is going on? I'm having a really good hair day, so I don't know. <laughs> Look out, world. If you can hear me all right, but like, I, I'm, I'm so, I don't really want to put. Why would I not be able to hear you all Because right? I'm going to explain that. I, okay, I, right, I, right. I didn't want to put the, I'm being very careful with the headset oh, positioning because I don't want to screw up my hair because I'm having one of those hair days that's so good. That after the show, I got to go either just wander around the grocery store or, you know, do something else creepy where there's women around because I my hair is just so good today. Like I could not stop going into the bathroom and checking the mirror just to look at my hair. It's Now, is this have you recently had a haircut or is it one of those random ones that just kind of happens in between haircuts? Because I had one about a week or so ago that was like, why is my hair look good today? There's no there was no reason for it. Like I'd gotten a haircut two weeks ago or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much due for one. But for whatever reason, it just everything clicked that day. And it was like a random Wednesday. And it just it just worked. This is a random between haircuts. Awesome hair day. How great are those, though? And you got, and you got to take advantage of them. You know, that's what I mean. They're few and far between. Yeah, they don't come every month either. They're they're like, I'll eat it once every six months or so where I'm just like, yeah, all right, all right, we're, do, we're doing this. Like, it's it's working. The random ones, like, not the fresh haircut days. Those, of course, those happen. But the absolute random ones, I mean, you really got to take advantage of. Yeah, when you got a fresh haircut and, you know, you're going to have good hair for like a week. So it's not special when you have the good hair. No, those are DQ'd. I mean, you get that anyway. That's that's DQ'd. Yeah, you got a week's worth of awesome hair days, so you don't really have to to to, to hone in on them. This is a random between cycle incredible hair day. I'm tempted to snap a few photos and put them on the Twitter machine because <laughs> this is fantastic hair. I, I'm you know I'm turning myself on over here, but uh, I got to tell you, you know the other thing is we had to not record right away when you called me because I I had to take a dump. And I told you I, I had to I take a power dump. And I told you three minutes. And, Rich, was it not exactly three minutes? It was pretty much, I think it was like 3.07 or something like that on the dot. So that was, uh, that was impressive. Now, I don't know about you. The actual um, – this is some start to the show, by the way. The actual, Well, it's going to be some show, but people are going to quickly find out. But go ahead. The actual act of, you know, taking a dump, like, it doesn't take long. I don't know about you. 
You just linger around in the bathroom, you know? Like, oh, yeah. I, I spend, like, 30 minutes, and I'm doing nothing. I'm just, like, playing, you know, Nintendo DS. I'm fucking around on my phone. I'm reading something. I'm reading a book. Like, yeah, it, it, I could be in and out of there in two minutes if I really wanted to. But, you know, what's or, the fun th- of that? Or three minutes and seven seconds. Or three minutes and seven seconds if I was Joe Lanza. Yeah, because it's like you just squeeze it out, right, and you're done. But, like... You, you like to relax. It's almost – it's a nice place to relax. I hide from the dogs there too. If the dogs are like annoying me, I'll just go in there. Like I imagine most fathers and, 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 and mothers as well probably do that for their kids too. Where it's like, oh, honey, got to go to the bathroom and then just like lock the door and just stay in there as long as possible. Yeah, you know, you – Every, listen, that's why, you know, cell phones have to be the dirtiest things on earth because it's like everyone brings their phone into the bathroom with them. You know what I mean? There's probably fecal matter all over your phone. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean we've, – We've had this because we, uh, we unfortunately talk a lot about uh, uh, shitting on this show. Uh, but we talked about the belt too. That's a uh, remarkably dirty part of it because you always – if you remember anybody that wears a belt – you don't wash your hands before you put your belt back on. You put your belt, you, you stand up, you put your belt back on, and then you wash your hands. So that belt, ugh. The fr- you know, and nobody, nobody's ever washed a belt. And only you've had three belts your entire life. And, you've, and you're right, you've never cleaned your belt. Like, what have you ever washed your belt? How would you even wash a belt? I don't even know. Do you throw it? In the, I don't think you should throw it in the washing machine, right? Do you like hand wash it? I think you'd have to. Or? I think you'd have to take some kind of cleaning cloth and physically wipe down. Oh, like them. a like a Clorox wipe or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And like scrub the I'm buckle, right? I yeah, mean, but. You're right. You, you, like as an adult, you've probably had like three belts. When the belt starts to get worn and frayed, you go buy another one and you throw the other belt out. You know, uh, you know. It's like, and you're right. They're dis- the first time you brought that up on the show a few months ago. I had never thought of that, and now I always think about that when I'm atta- reattaching my belt when I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, this is a- that in the cell phone. Like, don't ever, like don't ever pick up someone else's phone. You know, like. Y- y- you know that their fecal matter is all over their own phone. Do you ever clean your phone or no? No, I no. Okay, I do. I do. Well, how do you, what do you do like, to clean your phone? Uh, I use like Clorox wipes and then like a paper towel or whatever. I'll really? use like Windex. I'll do use like Windex too. Yeah, because my fingerprints get all over there. My greasy fucking fingerprints. Because I'm also like eating and touching my phone. Like it, 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 it's not because of fecal matter at all. It's not. It, it's because like my greasy ass hands touch it, and I don't like the screen being all dirty or whatever. So I'll do that. But it's it's not for the reasons that you're saying. So that it, I'm, I'm sure I've plenty of times touched you know things I shouldn't have touched on my phone. So. Fecal matter. I love the technical term being used here. For, you know. Well, hey, for yeah, shit. Yeah. You know. <laughs> We're a classy uh, podcast here. We don't use you know. But you know, it's it's pretty gross how everyone brings their their phone into the bathroom. It's it's kind of replaced the magazine. Remember, everyone used to have a magazine rack in the bathroom. I do. I, I actually miss those days too because I used to get a lot of reading done uh, on the toilet. And now, unfortunately, I, I just don't. I, I mean, I I'll, I'll read some books here and there. But yeah, it used to be and magazines were the best because books. The problem with the book is like. You don't want to read four pages, and then like you have the rest of the chapter to go, and you're you're kind of screwed there. Magazine was great. Pick it up, one article, boom, you're done, you're out. Like it, it was perfect. I used to have like game magazines all the time. PWI, um, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, that used to be fantastic. Uh, remember Wow Magazine, the the World of Wrestling magazine. Of course, that's what Bill Apter moved on to briefly after. Yeah, he left yeah, the, uh... I got those those hot Francine uh, pictorials. Do you remember those? I, I listen. <laughs> you may remember those. I wasn't a big fan of Francine, but uh, they did have spreads of the ladies of the late '90s in those Wow magazines. There's no question about it. I do. I do remember that. It was definitely a Tammy Sitch uh, one as well that uh, I do remember. So. Yeah, without question. I'm sure she was. Uh, Dawn Marie, I'm sure, was featured uh, many times in those. Uh, the second Dawn Marie, of course, not the Dawn Marie from 1987. <laughs> Who was in the 1987 Survivor Series, you know, with her Joyce Grable tights. You know, not that Dawn Marie, you know, 47 years old, looking like she smoked three packs of camels a day. Not that Dawn Marie. 
you know, the Dawn Marie who uh, – the Impact players Dawn Marie Rich, of course. Of course, yes. Uh, I think uh, we're doing an all-question show today. I think there's an ECW question later on. So. There is. There is indeed an ECW Relates question. Yeah, so, but the, uh, but just the, the old magazine rack, I'll tell you, the problem with the magazine rack in the bathroom is – Go on, yeah. You've, you know, you read the same – July 1992 Sports <laughs> Illustrated 19 times. Like, you could probably recite the words, you know? Like, or, like, if you got the Pro Wrestling Illustrated in there, you've read the, uh, the August 1998 ratings, uh, you know, a million times uh, over and over and over where you could probably tell me who was the uh, sixth-ranked WCW competitor. Uh, maybe it was Billy Kidman or something. Because the problem is no one ever recycled the magazines in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the bathroom uh, magazine rack. It was always the same magazines. And you know those magazines are getting residual piss. You just know it. Come on. You know when you piss and it splashes Oh, they absolutely, the yeah, no. I remember my dad once got, like, mad at me because he had, like, a, a, some magazine that he actually, like, was still trying to read. And, like, yeah, as a kid, I, like, I, you know, intentionally, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to do it or whatever. But, like, I remember it just, like, splashing all over there. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, he's going to kill me. And then, like, like, a few hours later, he's like, Rich, what the hell? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I was like, sorry. I, you know? And I, I was like, you know, you've probably done it, too. It's, it's hard. You know, you admit it. Yeah, you know, I've done it, too. It, it happens. Did you take but, a you leak know? all over your father's Time magazine? What was he reading? Uh, he was not reading Time. Probably some either World War II or Sports Illustrated is about the only thing my dad ever read. So Is he one of those guys who will sit there and watch the History Channel? Yes, yeah, he used to. Now the History Channel's kind of garbage, but uh, he used to be a big History Channel guy. When it was actual history on the History Channel? Yeah, yeah, no, he would love it. When it was just like the Hitler Network, remember yes. in the, uh, like, the, the early 2000s where it was just literally all like Hitler, World War II stuff all day, every day? Yeah, that was his channel then, so. Literally Hitler has taken on a whole new meeting this November, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, the, the, that's, that was the problem with the bathroom magazine rack, a lack of rotation, man. But that's yeah, kind of I, the key. I had the... you, no one kept new magazines. It was always magazines that were read already. You know, you wouldn't want it like you didn't get magazines in the mail. Oh, see, I, I disagree. I, I made sure to get the, the current ones out there. I was like a magazine shop or I was like, you know, a bookstore. I, I was making sure the new stuff was out there because I'm not I'm not reading. I'm not reading Game Informer from eight years ago. Like, I'm not doing that. No, nah, that's the key. Yeah, you got to read the same. You got to read that Super Mario Brothers three review. <laughs> right, even though it's 1997, like times until the pages are so stiff from dried piss. That you're just you're disgusting yourself and you don't want to read it anymore. I did have the uh, the remember the old PWI uh, a- uh, annuals like those little almanacs that they used to have. Yeah, that one st- there was I think I forgot what year it was maybe the 2003 one or whatever stayed in my bathroom for five years. I was reading about like up and coming like independent stars for for so long too. And that and that's I, those magazines were great because that's how I you know I first got introduced to Ring of Honor and stuff like that. But you know those P- the PWI almanacs I would get them every single year. And then I think they stopped publishing them or I stopped buying them or whatever. But whatever it was, whatever the last one I bought, I think was 2003 or 2004, one of those years, that stayed in my bathroom for like, and I didn't want to get rid of it either because I was like, I, I still kind of enjoy like flipping through. And then it became, it was so long ago that I was like, ooh, this is kind of interesting. Like this guy who became something big, oh, he was like number, you know, 400 in the PWI uh, Almanac this year. And then like, let me look at the results of his house show. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just fun stuff like that. that I, I love those ones. Those were great. That's the perfect kind of bathroom book. You know what? Because I got three bathrooms in the house. One bathroom I have the Bill James historical baseball. I abstract. was going to say that's my that's my current. I have baseball prospectus uh, and the historical abstractor now my my bathroom book. Yeah, because right books that are non-linear, books that you don't read cover the cover, are perfect for the bathroom because you could just flip to any page and find something interesting. You know, and you might not have read it before. Whereas, see, I don't think like a novel is good for a bathroom. You know, because how many like you're saying can't get through too many pages and i don't know about you if i sit on a toilet too long 
I get like the the pins and needles in my thighs. Oh, I can't walk. Yeah, I like collapse and pass. <laughs> you stand up. Like, you stand up to wipe, and you're like you, exactly. You, all of a sudden, you have polio, and you can't stand up straight. You know, and you're like falling over. Does polio affect your legs? It does, right? Did I pick the right disease does, there? Yes, you, yeah. you did. Yes, yes you did. and I'm sure I didn't offend anybody because I think we've all had our polio vaccines since uh, 1940. So if anyone's listening that has polio, I apologize. But uh, but yeah, but yeah. So you, you know, you got to have a book that's non-linear if you're gonna have a bathroom book. What the fuck is happening on this show? This is just a ridiculous show. Just to let people know, this is gonna be an all-question show. Uh, Joe has been very busy uh, doing real-life things. Which, by the way, this is a nice reminder that if any of you money marks out there want to give us millions of dollars so we can quit our real jobs, this won't happen. Then we will be able to watch whatever we want to watch. We'll be able to watch stuff all day. So just a hint, hint to whoever you know, any millionaires that are listening that feel like funding us. This is a good time to do so. Uh, but, Joe, you haven't been able to watch a whole lot. Uh, I've been a little bit behind on stuff as well. So we're at this point where there's a lot of, you know, there's some few things going on that we could talk about. Dragon Gate, Dead or Alive, they had their big cage match. There's uh, Dontaku that neither of us have, have had a chance to watch yet. Uh, the Lionsgate show. There's a lot of stuff going on. The All Japan uh, Champion Carnival Final. Like, there's stuff that we could have hypothetically talked about. But if you haven't had a chance to watch, and I've only had a chance to watch maybe half of it or whatever, we don't want to do that. And that's always something that we've said on the show. Because a lot of times when we say, hey, we're light on topics, or hey, we're going to do a question show or whatever, people are like, oh, well, why don't you just watch this? Or, oh, you don't have to watch it. You can just talk about it. That's never been what we've wanted to do on this show. When when you and I come on here, we try to be, for that day, that night, those few hours, the experts of whatever we're talking about. We want to know everything about what we're talking about. We want to have both watched what we're talking about. We want to both be passionate about what we're talking about. We don't want to just come on here and read results. like that. That's not interesting to me. It's not interesting to you. And I really don't think it'd be that interesting to you guys. I mean, there's there's plenty. If, if you want that, if you want like hosts bullshitting their way through things they haven't watched, like there's plenty of places to go to listen to that. But that's not what we do, and it's it's never been what we've what we've done. So if we haven't both watched something, or we aren't both you know somewhat mildly passionate about something we don't really want to talk about it so Rich, that's kind of what happened i want this you week, to bury so. these plenty of other places that are uh just well, through shows come on there's one that everybody knows come on, secretly sassy go ahead and, uh, oh, get, there's, get your there's one that everybody up, knows i mean i was i was obviously just doing a, a, an alvarez sideswipe there i mean of course it's you can't have a wrestling podcast in 2017 without sideswiping brian alvarez I, uh, but, you know. I like Brian Alvarez a lot. I do too. I, I, you know, he's got a lot going on in his life and stuff. I'm sure, but like, it, it's a lot of times it's just like ah. Oh, sometimes, you uh, sometimes Brian doesn't keep up with the graps, Rich. No, uh, no. But I like him. He's a nice guy. He still. Does. If you ever watch uh, the old like, uh, you ever listen to, and I, I know you don't, and I, I barely do at this point either. But the the Brian and Vinny shows where they'll review like the older WCW Nitros and stuff like yeah. that. That's still because he watches that and he's watching it with those guys, and he's obviously still kind of passionate about watching that stuff. That's good. But yeah, his his, his reviews like t- the Take It Away, Dave. You know, hey Dave, uh, New Japan for Wrestling. Like I don't know what the hell the show's name is, but I'm just gonna say the name of the promotion and then turn my mic off for 45 minutes like that. You know. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You don't want nobody. That's not entertaining. Nobody likes that. It's not good. No, and it's not what we do. So, so it's a question show here this week. A lot of good questions here. Before we do that, though, I do want to let everybody know that this week is sponsored by our good friends at Bloom That. And Joe, as you know, Mother's Day is just around the corner, but it is not too late. You listen to this on a Thursday morning. I guarantee you, because I just ordered these from Bloom That. It is not too late to order from Bloom That for this Mother's Day, to send a beautiful artisan design arrangement from Bloom That. It is not too late. Unlike those other flower delivery services, Bloom That guarantees freshness with flowers picked right before you order. Each Bloom That bouquet is designed and handcrafted, and what you see is exactly what you get. Every bouquet also comes in an elegant burlap wrap to make an amazing first impression. Don't make your mom lie and say she loved your flowers. Use Bloom That, the flower company that doesn't cut corners. This week, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Go to bloomthat.com slash V-O-W. That's B-L. 
O-O-M-T-H-A-T slash V-O-W and pick out the perfect arrangement for mom. No matter which one you pick, you'll automatically get a free premium designer vase and caramel treats, a $25 value just by using our link. Once again, that's bloomnet.com slash V-O-W for a premium designed bouquet, free vase, and treats. Don't wait. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and this deal is available only to our listeners. Bloomnet.com slash V-O-W. It's bloomnet.com slash V-O-W. And I can let you know, a little pro tip here, even if you don't want to buy it for Mother's Day, works for the lady as well. I did. It was Nurse's Week, so I sent it to her work. I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a big shot right now this week. Oh, you scored some points in the crate chat. I could huh? just waltz in there. Yeah, I could just waltz in there right now. I, uh, the other nurses are, A, I, I screwed it. I, every other nurse, like boyfriend and husband, is in trouble right now. So I, I feel really bad for them. Because mm. um, I was the only one that sent flowers for Nurses Week. You're probably the only one who knows that exists. It probably. But hey, a lot of points. So I could waltz into that and, you know, I'm the nurse's favorite right now. All of the nurses. So just to let you know, it doesn't have to be Mother's Day. Bloomnet.com slash VOW. You can order it for any occasion. But particularly Mother's Day is a good time to do it. Again, free vase, free caramel treats. As Joe and I said, those caramel treats are very good. You can just keep those for yourself because they're delicious. $25 value. Bloomnet.com slash VOW to get that offer. So you ready to do these questions, Joe? I'm ready for the questions. Maybe maybe since you uh, scored some points with the nurse, you can uh... – Finally talk. There's a loud thunderstorm going on behind me, so I I can't. That was some loud thunder, man. Yeah, that might have struck. Like I I saw the light get real bright, and I thought either a light bulb went off in my house or it was gonna be really loud, and it was just instead really loud. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm saying maybe you can finally get that three way you've been asking her for, right? Scored some (laughs) points. You don't strike me as a three way guy. Uh, it seems like a lot to handle. So no, I I, a lot uh, of work, right? I gotta tell you. Yeah, I don't know that I could. uh, I could satisfy enough for you, know, three- you know the key to a th- good three-way i gotta tell you the key to a good three-way is it doesn't matter which person it is, but you need one good director okay you need one strong personality to be the director. you need martin scorsese in the room is what you need okay you- tell me where to go who's doing what, what position yeah because i would just be like overwhelmed and like all right all right let's think about this yes. and then like you need quentin tarantino in there pick your director of choice okay you need a good director because uh, they make it look very easy in the pornographic films, Rich. I don't know if you've you, you've uh, you've I, I have dabbled. Have in you the dabbled in the three way yes, pornographic I have. film? Okay, they, I, I have a few times. They make yes. it look a lot easier than it really is in practice. Your first couple three ways are always train wrecks. You know, you got to work the kinks out. It's like anything else, a little bit of practice. But uh, you need a good director, I find. And I'll tell you, Rich, I'm I'm an Academy Award winning level director when it comes to the three way. You just you got to take control of the room, you know? Because uh, look, there's plenty of stuff to do to keep everybody busy. There's no excuse to have a bad three-way once you, you know, you know what I mean. So you just got to have that good director though, because some people, like Rich, you strike me as a guy. You kind of just want to be part of the scene, right? You don't want to be the director. No, God, you no, need God. a director in the room, you know, especially if you're having a three-way with Crates, you know, you get it, you, and someone else with a, you know, with a, you know, with, with that kind of personality, you get. If you have three people who just want to be in the scene, it's going to be an absolute disaster. You got to have somebody out there, you know. Uh, Making sure everyone's kept busy and they got to be thinking ahead. You got to be thinking two moves ahead. You know what I mean? You can't let anybody get bored. It's very easy for someone to get left out. You know, I heard Axel Rose once on the Howard Stern show, and Howard Stern asked him if uh, he was a big fan of the three ways. And surprisingly, Axel said no. And the reason Axel Rose said he wasn't a fan of the three ways is he, was because he said, hey, look, someone always gets left out and then they get mad at you. That was a tip off. Axel Rose, not a good director. But then again, if you're Axel Rose, do you really need to be? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he's Axel Rose. Like, 
you know, three ways are probably a dime a dozen to him, so it doesn't really matter. Do we have questions about wrestling? We, that we-, uh, we do have uh, – yes. I, I feel bad that our sponsor, our lovely sponsors, got sandwiched in between talk about poop and then talk about three ways. I and then there was our beautiful – didn't, I didn't give you that three – my three-way theories on this show before. Oh, I might have done that on Lanza Unfiltered. Maybe. I yeah, I don't, I don't call you and I ever discussing three ways. But, that's, you know, we've done a lot of shows together and I do forget and I, I try to forget everything that we talk about. So – uh, first question here from MLEV76 on our forums. Of course, you go to voicewrestling.com slash forums whenever we do these question shows, and you can jump in and participate on these questions. He asks, uh, what is your opinion on the merch table culture of wrestling's hanging out prior to, during, and after shows pushing their merchandise, sometimes to an uncomfortable degree? He does that. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, look – it's the kind of thing where you really can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. These independent wrestlers make a lot of their money, and in some cases they make more money by selling their merchandise. So it's the kind of situation where you can't take the merch tables away now. Um, and, and I understand that, but at the same time, I do feel like it, 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 it sort of it, – it, these wrestlers definitely come off as lesser stars – when they're mingling with fans, selling merch, taking pictures, walking around during the show. We've all been to indie shows where, you know, the guy just worked his match. He strolls out from the back wearing basketball shorts and a T-shirt. He's mingling around with fans. He's shaking hands. He's at the concession stand. To me, that kills star power, you know? And I might be old school in that way, but um, oh, I should turn my phone down. I'm sorry. Man, we started this thing as soon as I walked in the door. So <laughs> I've just been rich. You know what my week has been like. Oh, I yes, just, yes. I, you know, but, uh, so, okay. The phone's off. Apologize for that. But I, to me, I, I think, um, that, that you apologize for nothing else. Nothing else in the show is, is apology worthy, but your phone making a noise for 30 seconds or 13 seconds was, was, oh, well, rich, that's totally, worthy that's, of an apology. that's yeah. totally unprofessional. It's unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bloom that.com slash POW, it's by the like, way. it's like eating or chewing gum on the air. I would never. You know, but no. if you want to talk about MFF three ways, I mean, because, you know, I could do that all night. But uh, but yeah, so I think it just I think the whole merch table culture, uh, you know, I think these guys are, are really killing their star aura when they do that. I mean, I've I've given this anecdote a million times. But when I used to go to those ROH shows in Edison where we had to share the bathroom with the wrestlers and I talked about this with a buddy of mine who used to go to all the shows with me. Um, and we talked about this. The only two guys we never saw in that bathroom ever, I don't know if they were pissing in milk cartons or pissing in the back of the building, uh, were Samoa Joe and Brian Danielson. Now, those are two guys who get it. Okay, They weren't mingling around with fans. They weren't standing at the urinal next to you. You, never, you know when you saw those guys, Rich? When they came to the ring for their match. That's it. They, they, those are two dudes who understood, I don't know if that's because they came out of the New Japan, uh, LA Dojo, I don't know. But, the, you know, and, and you can totally see with, with their personalities, those are guys that would not be wandering around with the crowd. And in those days at ROH, there was no such thing as wrestlers standing at the merch table. Wrestlers had merchandise, 
but it was sold by ROH employees or whatever. You, you remember the old ROH merch? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it was just uh, you, and you walk in, there was a big table, and then the big um, for us it was like this, like a cage, like a, a, a fence or whatever. And then there were just all the t-shirts hung up on that fence or whatever. Yeah, and then you just scramble for the D- in those days. It was a mad scramble for the ROH DVDs, or you know they also sold the Noah DVDs and some other companies. And if you wanted a t-shirt, you but but the wrestlers did. This is a recent development, probably in the last what do you think five years? Yeah, probably four or five, I would and, say, but it, it, it's very recent. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and the other thing is, it's it's you know, it's it's the perception of it's everything, even the size of some of these guys. You know, if you've ever seen some of these guys at the merch table, and you think to yourself, "Geez, you know, I'm six foot, two hundred pounds, and I'm twice the size as Tracy Hot Sauce Williams or whoever the fuck." You know, it's like I don't know. You know, it's like it's like the old thing that 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 the wrestlers used to say. It's like you know, um, you know. It, Never show up to the show in an old beat-up car because, you know, you're hurting the perception of your stardom. And those are all old-school things. But I do think to some extent that they do matter. I mean, you know, you know, why are people going to plop down to pay money to see somebody who, who uh, you know, who – you have to be careful making yourself a man of the, of the people if you're a pro. This is a star-driven business, and we can't lose sight of that. But at the same time, it's that double-edged sword. If they're making all that money selling T-shirts and selling and selling, you know, cell phone pics, who can blame them? I can't tell them not to do it. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference there. I think there's a few things. Um, I think we're in a different era of pro wrestling, where, like you said, it is still a star-driven business. But I think pro wrestling and and all sports have now gotten into a little bit more of a. Uh, and, and possibly because of social media, possibly because of a few different things, where it, they are more people that you're watching. You're watching less stars, less superheroes, and, and, and more people. So I think that, that gap's been bridged a little bit. But what I think is, is important, and I have noticed this at, at some shows that I've gone to, is there are certain guys that don't come out. And there are certain guys, like you mentioned, a Danielson and a Joe were guys in old RH who, who you never saw taking a, you know, taking a piss in, in the, the public bathroom or whatever, or getting you know, a hot dog or whatever. You, you never saw it. Those guys were, were old school in that way. And there's sometimes where I'll go to an AEW show, I'll go to like a freelance show. And sometimes you will see uh, a few wrestlers not come out. And you're kind of surprised. Like, where's that guy? Why did that guy not come out? And I, I don't know if it's intentional by AEW or, 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 or these other companies. Or I don't know if it's intentional from the wrestler or they just don't feel like going out that day. But a lot of times, if a guy's in a big main event, if there's a story that they've kind of tried to play up, those guys won't come out. It'll be the guys that do come out are just the random guys that have been booked on the show. AR Fox is booked on the show. He's not doing, you know, he's just wrestling a match or whatever. He's going to come out or whatever. This guy's going to, you know, but the main event guys, your, your, your title holders, your guys that are in feuds or whatever, your guys that are involved in stories, a lot of times they won't come out because I think there is still a little bit of an idea of, well, geez, it looks kind of weird when, like, you we're battling in the main event or we're in this feud and, you know, we're five feet away from each other, you know, selling T-shirts. It kind of, it, you know, I think we all can know what's the, what the score is with wrestling now, but there still is that suspension of disbelief. You want to at least think in your head, oh, geez, these guys really hate each other. You go and pay your money because you want to be entertained, you want to watch great matches or whatever, but you also want to be invested in stories and invested in outcomes of stories. So, yeah, seeing the guys next to each other does kind of hurt. And I mentioned uh, I went to an AEW show in, in, in LaSalle a few months ago, and Air Fox and Pentagon were in the main event uh, against each other, and they had not done really like a feud or whatever. It was just kind of a random match put together, but I walk into the show, and who's standing next to each other at the merch table but Air Fox and Pentagon? And I was just like... Ah, man, you know, like, especially a guy like a Pentagon, who I think that's a guy that I would never have come out. And I know that he makes tons of money. Like you said, it's a double-edged sword. He makes tons of money selling T-shirts. He makes tons of money with pictures. He makes a lot of money with, I don't know if you've seen this phenomenon where where people pay guys to chop them. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's very weird. Oh, Pentagon makes, like, 
probably a thousand bucks a night doing that because people for some godforsaken reason say hey pentagon here's here's 20 bucks or whatever here's 50 bucks now you can like that's the guy you want to chop you is pentagon like i I don't know if i do that but so he makes a lot of money doing that so i get why he does it and i know why he does it i know you know for his well-being why he does it but still he's a guy that i would really just be like ah man i only want to see you when you come out I don't want to see you sitting there talking to AR Fox and, and and taking cell phone pictures and wearing basketball shorts. You know what I mean? Like that, I I just don't like that. So I, I get it. I think that you could get by with having just kind of the the auxiliary wrestlers do it, and maybe your main eventers, your big time guys, they don't come out. But I get why they do. I mean, that's what you said. That most of the money now is made in that, so it's 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 hard to tell these guys. No, you're not allowed to make additional if, money. If you tell, if you're a promoter and you tell a guy, I want to book you, but we don't do merch tables, or you're in my main event, so I don't want you at the merch table, or any, they're not going to work for you. You know, they're probably going to come back and say, okay, well then, you know, pay me what I would have made at that merch table, or I'm not working your show. And I can't blame them for that. You know, these guys are in business to make money too, and and it's like I said, we can't. This is one thing where we can't go backwards on this one. It's too late. Uh, you know, this is a large chunk of their income, and uh, you know, we know a lot of these guys aren't making you know uh, six figures. So you know, you have to let them do it. You can't tell them they can. Um, but I, I do have one other quick story about uh, that relates to that. I was at a wrestle circus show uh, a couple months ago. And uh, um, I got to tell you, the way the, the building for Wrestle Circus is set up, if you stand on the one side of the building that's near the entranceway, all of the wrestlers kind of congregate up a flight of stairs on sort of this balcony. That's kind of like where the quote unquote dressing room is. So they're all just kind of hanging out up there, uh, standing around uh, before their match, and then they come down the stairs and through the curtain. Okay, you kind of following me there? They Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So – the entire roster is up there. So you see Davy Boy Smith Jr. stretching before his match and doing his push-ups, or you see, you know, whoever the fuck chatting it up with whoever else up there. And um, I got to tell you, this is funny because the I was paying attention, and um, I'm looking up there, and there was only two people on the entire – Wrestle Circus books like 50 guys per show, okay? But there were only two people on this show who they were nowhere to be found. And it had me questioning – whether they know showed or not, right? Because I'm like, where are these guys? And they did not appear in front of fans before the show or even on that balcony where only a quarter of the fans could even see them. These two men did not appear until their names were called by the ring announcer. And you want to know who those two guys were, Rich? And I have a theory as to why this was. It was the Gorillas of Destiny. And I bet you they learned that from their old man. Mm -hmm. I bet you they learned that from their old man. Do not kill your star aura. Do not fraternize with fans. Do not hang around the fans. Now, well, and those guys too, because their look when they come to the ring with the face yes. paint and everything. I mean, it would look silly. I mean, Tonga Roa would just look silly just out there in a you know basketball shorts and a, and a t shirt. Like, yeah, I don't. You know, whatever the reason was, and they were in a like a gauntlet match that had like Royal Rumble style entry, and those dudes did not make an appearance until their number got called, and then they literally ran down the stairs and threw the curtain into the ring. Not until their number were called in that gauntlet match. Now, after the match and after the show, they were at the merch table selling Bullet Club t-shirts. But that was after the show, after they had appeared in the ring. Which, I mean, I got to tell you, it it really, to me, that's got to be the influence of Haku. It has to be. They probably learned that from their father. And it's it's exactly what we're talking about here. And look, we may sound old. We may sound like, you know, we're we're doing a cornet speech here or something. But 
I don't know. We can't go backwards in time, but I really wish that had never happened and wrestlers did not do that. And this do do you, would it be different for you because you mentioned there the girls of destiny came after would it matter to you if it was before or after if it's after do you not care I'd see it, to me if you it, no after because you've already appeared right so it's like you you've got that that sort of uh, air of mystery before you appear before the fans they haven't seen you yet you know what I mean after the show when fans are leaving if they want to stand out there and sell t-shirts which is what they were doing I don't really have such a big problem with that. And again, I don't really have a big problem with it. Pier- I understand why, and and I, I sympathize with them. I just kind of wish, for the sake of wrestling, that that sort of thing didn't start. You know what I mean? And um, you know, I kind of like the way Ethan Page approaches it. I, you know, if you follow his Twitter feed, he's like, "Look, I I don't want to be friends with fans. You know, I don't want to fraternize with fans. I don't want to buy T-shirts from fans. If I want to do that, I'll buy a ticket." You know, and and I kind of empathize with that too. I kind of understand. Yeah, and, and he's not all talk either. I've seen him at shows. He, he'll he'll go to the merch sale, but he just kind of stands there. And if you buy a t shirt from him, you buy a t shirt from him. But he's not out there because some guys and, and and I won't name names because there's plenty that that do it. But um, there will be guys where you walk by and they're just like, hey, you want a shirt or hey, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like weird. Oh, like, they're, they're like they're like they're like hold you, and it's like, dude, like yeah, yeah I know like, you mean. There are definitely some wrestlers who are like carnival barkers. They're like calling yes. you to their yes, and they're trying to draw you in and. Yeah, absolutely. Poor, uh, poor Joey Bay the other day was like trying to look at a T-shirt, and th- this other wrestler call just like call, him, don't be, call him out, man. That's well, Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan. Okay, so you know, it's yeah. I kind of called him out and was just basically like cornered the guy. And I, poor Joey didn't like didn't have the heart to be like, dude, nah, I'm I'm trying to see what shirt Zack Saber's selling. I don't want anything that you're selling. Like, but it, it was like he made it awkward, and it's like not Joey didn't make it. Sammy made it awkward, and it's like, dude, come on, like. Stand there, you know, you're in the main event, you're a champion. Stand there. People want their shirt, they're gonna want it. But yeah, don't don't be yeah, don't be a carnival barker. That I think that's awful. Yeah. Chasing fans it, around, begging them to buy your stupid t shirt. I mean, that's it was uncomfortable. We were all just kind of like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just kinda like, oh, yeah. it looks low rent. I mean, it makes you come off like not a star. I you know, and man, you know, people are probably gonna rip us for this, but I don't know, Rich. That's just how I feel about it. I'm not a big fan yeah, of it. Well, but then again, I'm not the kind of guy who would ever buy a T-shirt, and that's not because I don't support wrestlers. I buy my ticket. That's supporting the wrestlers, right? I'm just not a T-shirt guy. I, you know what I mean? I'm not a guy who takes pictures with wrestlers, and I'm not knocking people who are. I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not my thing. So maybe because that's not my thing, maybe that's why I kind of have a different stance on this, and I'm like, maybe you know, this kind of comes off poorly. But um, but I don't know. I I don't know. It's just I've it's something that I, I'm I'm real weird about. Yeah, uh, another question from uh, the same person here says, uh, what do you think the chances are of another Japanese company emerging as a true internationally followed number two? And which company, Dragon Gate, NOAA, All Japan, do you think has that chance? So any other Japanese company that could emerge as an internationally followed number two company? Well, I mean, part of the reason New Japan has been able to break through in that regard to whatever extent that they have, and I'm not so certain it's as big of an extent as some people think um, is because of a lot of the reasons why traditional uh, Pearl fans are are not huge New Japan fans these days because they've embraced a lot of Western wrestling philosophy. Uh, Gato and Jado are big fans of Western wrestling. They are admirers of, of WWF and WCW and those sorts of things. And, you know, you see it uh, – Look, I, I, you see it, a lot of it in their booking. Let's be honest. I mean, Bull Club was the start of it, and now you have Los Ingobernobles, and you have uh, um, 
uh, Suzuki Gun, and and these are heel factions who routinely do run-ins and they cheat and they do things that were not staples of of New Japan, you know, uh, wrestling for many years. And um, you know, it's I think a lot of that, and especially the Bullet Club, obviously appeals to Western fans. Which is, again, why we always shake our heads on this show and we think it's silly when people suggest that the Bullet Club should be disbanded or broken up. I mean, that's just stupid. That Bullet Club is a, is a major, major reason why New Japan has been able to expand West to whatever extent that they have. And it's just something you're going to have to deal with until it loses popularity. So I think for another company to sort of break through like that, um, you know, you have to appeal to Western fans if you want to break through in the West. And I don't know if you're just presenting a traditional Japanese product that you're ever going to be able to, um, you know, gather enough Western fans to break through the way new Japan has. So it's, it's a tough question to answer. It's, it's also dependent on finding stars. I think that's important, but even someone who's a star in Japan may not necessarily translate the same right. in the United States. I'm look at new Japan as an example, Hiroshi Tanahashi, enormous star in Japan for new Japan. Never, I mean, he's a big enough star when he comes here, but he never really quite translated the same to Western fans, you know. And um, that's it's not his job to do that. It was his job to get over in Japan. But I mean, he didn't translate the same way that uh, you know some other New Japan star. I don't know that Kento Miyahara would ever translate to Western fans, um, you know. So it, it's it's you got to find not only the right stars, but stars that are going to translate to a different kind of fan. So I don't think any of the other companies are close. I don't think no. – I mean Dragon Gate did the Dragon Gate USA thing, but was that really them trying to expand or was that more, hey, look, this guy, Gabe Sapolsky, will do business with us. It can't hurt, right? I mean I don't think necessarily that they were trying to gain a – Yeah, I don't think they had an eye on like let's you know take over the Western you know wrestling bubble. And I, that was just kind of a fun little thing. And it was cool and I, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I thought it was more of Gabe being kind of the spearhead of of just trying to get these guys here and and having some fun booking and some fun matches and 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 getting you know in a lot of ways getting some of his American stars over you know using those guys yeah I, I don't think it's it, I don't think that was ever their goal and and my answer to this question is I I just don't think that there is a chance I, I would almost put it at zero percent because I think the barrier of entry is just so much to get the I mean New Japan has done so much in the last five six years. To, to appeal to Western audiences, they to, to appeal to, I mean, they, they have TV on access TV. They have, you know, tons of different, you know, that YouTube accounts, they got, you know, English Facebook accounts, English Twitter accounts, you know, English wrestlers. Like you said, they've embraced Western wrestling in some ways. They've had marketable stars. They've been having some of the greatest matches of all time. And still what's their market share. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's good, but it's not, I mean, and they've gone as far as any other Japanese company has in, in, ever. And it's like, go back. I mean, All Japan Pro Wrestling, what, there, there was nothing bigger in Japan in the 90s than All Japan. And it's like, what mark did they make on America other than, you know, tape traders or whatever? And that's a minuscule part of the, the Pro Wrestling audience. So I think the barrier of entry is just so hard and so heavy that it took New Japan putting all of the resources. And, and, and honestly, if you watch a New Japan show, it, it, it doesn't look all that much different than what you see on WWE. I mean, you know, from a presentation standpoint, if you watch a Wrestle Kingdom, it's a huge deal. The arena's look great there's pyro there's stuff going on there's big screens there's you know english announcers in a lot of cases all sort of stuff i just don't know that the other companies would ever have the resources to do that and i think you need to do that because it's just the barrier of entry is so high and people are going to hear japanese and go oh geez well i don't know who these guys are and i you know that's how fans are that's how wrestling fans have have been and and yeah new japan's done everything they could in the last you know handful of years to get over to the western audience and and they've been successful in some ways but 
how successful are they really? I mean, if we really if we really think about it and really to your average fan, how many of them really know that New Japan is coming to L.A. in, in July 1st or whatever? You know what I mean? It's, it's we're going to find out fast. Do you go to a house? Do you go to a WWE house show and say, "Hey, you know, are you going to that New Japan show in LA or whatever?" And they're like, Who the, "What? What are you talking I, about?" I th- look, I think New Japan has clearly broke in with a certain kind of fan in the West. Oh, absolutely. I just yeah. don't think. I, I think I, I'm just always careful. Um, I don't know how deep that runs. Um, look, the LA shows. Okay, this is their first time here. They sold out instantly. It's a still in, in the novelty stage. I want to know what happens when New Japan goes to other markets. Uh, and when they come to those markets a second and third time, that will really tell the tale of how much they've penetrated into the West. Um, the other thing is New Japan could afford English-speaking foreign wrestlers, which, I mean, there was one point where, like, what, 40% of their roster were English-speaking, uh, you know, Gaijin wrestlers? No other promotion in Japan can just – it's simple. You know, they can't afford to do that, uh, you know, and that's a big thing too. And that's another big complaint you get from, you know, your traditional Pearl fan. Ah, you know, there's too many, there's too many non-Japanese wrestlers in New Japan. And again, that's such like, like shallow thinking. I mean, that's a big reason why they've been able to expand. And oh, by the way, they continue to grow in Japan with all of those dastardly foreigners on the roster anyway. So where is it hurting them? So that's another complaint that's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. If you think all of the American or if all of the non-Japanese wrestlers on the New Japan roster is a negative uh, because it hasn't hurt their business at all. They continue to grow. And that's been a, a big key. I mean, someone like Kenny Omega, I mean, I, he's so important to New Japan and and, uh, you know, all of the other uh, English speaking guys, you know, you can't make a move like they're making if you're pro wrestling Noah and you don't have a single English speaking or American wrestler, you just can't. Right, so right. you can't overlook the fact that New Japan can simply afford to employ, you know, whatever it is, 35, 40% of their roster. It's probably a bigger chunk than you think that are, that are uh, foreign wrestlers. Yeah, and, and I think the big part is, you know, when you talk about a, a number two, like a true number two, internationally followed number two, is that it's so hard for that number one to even penetrate outside of japan so the idea that a number two could come and that people would be able to to, to embrace it or, or or want to embrace a second japanese promotion it, i think it's hard enough for people to embrace just new japan itself and new japan's done everything they can so i i think yeah i i, I would put the chance at about zero um and as far as which company i mean who knows like you said maybe some star would catch fight it'd have to really take a, a conscious effort to 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 do it to, to really have it happen so um, it takes, it'll take someone with a lot of money to take over one of these companies and so- right, and and they really do risk, and you mentioned it a little bit with New Japan. They risk the the how much do you appeal to Western audiences at the expense of your Japanese audiences. Right. And New Japan and has New- found a good balance yes. where where they're fine. But like, say you had a company where this guy comes in and he's got a few Japanese guys, and he brings in a ton of American guys. Well, you risk the idea that that then the Japanese fans would go, "Well, what the hell? Like, I don't want to watch this." this it's is a tough balance, and New Japan has managed to pull it off brilliantly. And I, that, I think that's an overlooked aspect of, of a lot of their growth. Forget the expansion plans, just their growth in Japan to the point where they're, you know, this year they're just on fire selling out every single big show. And, you know, and they've continued to do this over since 2012 by, you know, employing a roster loaded with, with Gaijin wrestlers to uh, the point where, you know, a lot of people thought that would be, um, you know, a major downfall for them, but it hasn't hurt them at all. If anything, it has helped them. But you, again, you can't, you need, you need someone with a lot of money to take over one of these companies and start challenging new Japan to employ those people. 
All right, CKKJ14, who is a legit listener from the Isle of Man. I, I have confirmed that through him. He is in, uh, one of our Isle of Man listeners, one of our many, many Isle of Man Rich, listeners. did you know this is the most popular pro wrestling podcast in it Isle is. of Man? We've confirmed that, too. Right. So, And this is a man. I mean, we, people have said, oh, well, you know, people use it for, you know, their IPs. or they, you know, No, no, no. This guy has legit told me he is from the Isle of Man. This guy so, lives so. on the Isle of Man. Yes, he does. Yes. Two ends. Yes. Mm-hmm. It says, rank in order of star potential in WWE. He said start potential, but I think he meant start potential in WWE. Uh, Matt Riddle, Marty Scroll, Adam Cole, and Kyle O'Reilly. So let's rank from lowest to highest of star potential if they went to WWE of those four guys. Well, those are four guys that all have star potential in WWE, I think. Um, it pains me to say it, but if I'm picking the guy least likely to be a WWE star from that group, I'd say Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, I agree. And, and Kyle O'Reilly is my favorite of those guys in that list. But, yeah, yeah I, don't, uh, I don't know that he would translate all that well to WWE. Kyle O'Reilly so. is a wrestler's wrestler. You know what I mean? He wants to go in there, and he wants to wrestle, and he wants to beat people up, and he wants to have good matches, and he does all those things. And he appeals to guys like us. Uh, and I think he will eventually be in WWE, and I think he'll have good matches. Do I think he'll ever be an enormous WWE star? I do not. Um, do I think he could have a a good WWE run and make, you know, a nice salary and, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and do well there. Sure. But I, you know, do I think he can get higher than like Cesaro's level? No, I do not. All right. So that's number four. So I think we both agree on Kyle O'Reilly number four. Then we have Riddle, Scroll, and Adam Cole. Who's your number three? Okay. So I think Marty Scurll has already has the gimmick down and that gimmick will get over anywhere. Um, I think he could walk into – if he walked into full sale tomorrow, Rich, the place would explode and he would be NXT champion at some point. Do you agree with that? I do, yeah. I, he's uh, kind of a spoiler. He's my number one of these guys. Yeah, I mean – For that reason that you exactly mentioned. Yeah, so. he's – this is a guy who has painstakingly created – okay, let's be honest, okay? He was a nice little wrestler, but he was going nowhere as Party Marty. Do you agree with that? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. He was going nowhere uh, as Party Marty. It's hard to believe. There's probably people that have no idea what Party Marty is, but you should look up Party Marty Scroll. And then I, he's got some TNA matches as Party Marty. He does, yeah. Um, but, but I mean... He won their little boot camp thing, right? I don't know if he won. Or he was in it. I don't know if he won it, it, but he was I'm in it. I'm not sure, he, sure. I don't think he won either. Garrett will correct us. Um, and, you know, another good test to see if he listens. Um, I think he listens, though. Listens to he does, he does. Um, yeah, but I, he was going nowhere as Party Marty. This is a guy who sat down, and he just totally tore up his career, started from scratch. And this is a guy who people have told us privately he puts a ton of not just effort but money. Yeah, that's key. That's key as well. He has yeah. invested money into this gimmick. I mean, and and and, and you know, he arguably has the best uh, gimmick in wrestling. I mean, this villain thing. The problem, it's so good that he can't be a heel anymore, though, because he's kind of crossed over into this thing where the the gimmick is so awesome that people just want to cheer him. And he's had that problem in some of the European promotions, and he's having that problem everywhere he goes now. You don't want to boo the guy, you know? And, and it's almost like he's got to find a way to get booed again. But, um, you know, I think he could waltz right into NXT and be the top guy in an instant. And, of course, that gives you a leg up on the main roster. Um, I agree with you. I think Marty Skrull, uh would be my number one. Now we got to sort out these two guys in the middle since we seem to agree on the number one and the number four. And this is not easy because I think all four of these guys. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're you know splitting hairs here with these four because I think all four do definitely have um, some potential. So The one thing about Matt Riddle is, I mean, I, you know, 
everyone's afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say anything. He needs to grow up. I mean, this is a guy who you can clearly see why promotions are hesitant to use this guy. You can see why WWE is um, keeping arm's length with him and watching him from afar. And um, look, how many times is this dude going to double book himself? I mean, yeah, that's I, people are going to have to start calling him out on that because I saw like you know it happened last week and people were getting mad at like PWG and it's like it's not their fault if they call the guy and say hey Matt uh, April you know nineteenth you free and he goes yeah okay cool and then oh wait no I'm not free like ah, fuck that other company I'll come work your show like that's not PWG's fault they they don't have you know Matt Riddle's schedule ready to go like they call the guy and it's up to the guy to say no I I can't do it or yes I can do that so yeah like people blaming promotions for Matt Riddle double booking himself. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, Matt Riddle either, you know, if he can't handle it himself, he needs to hire an agent. I don't know if he does have an agent. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of promoters don't like to work with agents. Pat Buck is famous for just despising working with agents to the point he won't book certain guys if he has to deal with an agent. But it's like, this guy, I mean, he's got to get his shit together. Stop double booking yourself. This isn't difficult, okay? And if you take a booking, honor the fucking booking. Just honor the booking. You know, and, 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 and I know a lot of people pull this shit when PWG comes calling, and maybe PWG knows that they can call these guys last second and they're just going to magically show up. But again, I don't necessarily put that on PWG. You know, no, that's not their fault. You know fault. what would I stop mean, that is if they tried to pull that before their next show. And people said and no. Said, yeah, Look, and, I'm booked already. And then PWG. And they had to call Chris Bosch. Yeah, show. and then it's Chris Bosch and Human Tornado right. in their main event because nobody else could yeah, show and up. All of a so. sudden they're calling. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, you know, they're, they're calling. Uh, 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 Rock- Scorpio Sky and Human Tornado are going to have Rock a, Ness you know, Monsters Iron Man match. Or Rock Ness Monsters are headlining. <laughs> right. You know, and, and right. you know, they, they, you know uh, Rojas. What's his name? Uh, Rojas, uh, whatever his name. Yeah, these lo- they got to book all these local dudes. You know, that's all that would take to stop that. One time, one one time, time. all those guys saying, no, I'm booked for Lucha Forever or whatever. That's all it would take, one time. If that's even what's happening. And either that, you know, but the point is, even when it's not PWG involved, we we just saw last week Matt Riddle double booked himself again and someone had to pull him off the show and rearrange their lineup. And it's like, come on, man, you know, be a professional. So, you know, and, and, you know, it's like. Actually, had to cancel their show that Lucha Forever. And it wasn't, I don't know if it's because of Matt Riddle, but they uh, today announced that they were just completely canceling that show. Which sucks because that's a promotion that's very early in their existence. So uh, a full time promotion too, yeah, and they had to just completely call it. So I, I bet there was somebody. There was probably a few other people on their list that that are no longer uh, going to show up. So um, that's yeah, that's not good because I know PWG is running. I think the night before, but not right up against them. And, and there's probably a lot of people that are ditching out now to do that, which is is eh, kind of shitty. But you know, and Matt Riddle is a great wrestler. And he's got a certain kind of charisma that other that other people don't have, and he's got all the tools. I just I think uh, it's becoming clear why you know he's not working for WWE. Right? That and many other reasons. He just needs to clean up his act. But uh, you know why isn't that guy? Is there a reason he's not getting booked in Japan? I mean, you know, do they just not trust him? I mean, there's a lot of questions around this guy. I don't blame them if they don't. Um, Cole is a guy that we're not the biggest fans of. Um, I think he's overrated. Um, it doesn't mean I think he's a bad wrestler. I just don't think um, he's as good as some other people do. And um, he, he's a guy who always leaves me a little empty. And I, there's just something about, look, he has good matches now and then. But a lot of times, he, you know what Adam Cole, ha, Adam Cole has a lot of matches where at the end of them, I'm like, wow, you know, that was almost good. That was almost a really good match. 
but there was something missing. There's just always something missing with that. Yeah, I feel like there's always something missing when I watch him. And I, I, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, you know, offline in our, in our Slack chat, our, our group Slack. And, and I basically said that the thing with me is I just never, no matter what, whatever the story is, whatever the promotion is, whatever the feud is, whatever, I never feel any emotion from Adam Cole. Like, the matches begin, as you said, they finish, and you go, oh, that was, that was almost awesome. That was almost pretty good. But when it's all said and done, I don't care. And it doesn't, I don't know if he exudes enough emotion either. I just feel like he's Adam Cole, the wrestler playing Adam Cole, the wrestler that just goes out there and does Adam Cole things. You know what I mean? Like he's just a guy that plays pro wrestler. And like, we use that term a lot, but he's just absolutely a guy that just never seems like he's that in that whatever it is, or not that passionate about what it is. And, 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 and it comes through with me and I've always, I've watched the guy and I'm always, always underwhelmed by him. But with that said, I could see him fitting like a glove in WWE because he's going to go out there and give you two and a half star matches every time you want. So. And here's the thing. We know that they already love him because they've yeah. been hot for that guy for a while. So here's my official order. You ready? I'm going to go Skrull number one. I'm going to go Adam Cole number two because he has a leg up because they've wanted him to be there for a while. And you know that they already like him. So he's going to get the opportunities. And that's important. I'm going to put Riddle number three because I really think he'll be his own worst enemy in that company. I could totally see him as a guy, too, who's not going to take their shit politically. Um, and that obviously will not work for, uh, in your favor at all. And I'm going to put O'Reilly four. I'm actually going to change my order here a little bit. Is that is that allowed? That is, I will allow it. Okay, so I'm going to go Marty Scroll number one, so we agree on that. I'm going to go Adam Cole number two, so we agree on that. I'm going to flip-flop, though. I'm going to put O'Reilly number three, and then I'm going to put Riddle number four. The more I've been talking about it, the more I've been thinking about it. I just never know if Riddle's going to fit in that, that company, in the corporate environment of that company. As you said, we've seen you know some some things happen as of late, and, and like you said, I don't think he's going to be too... you know into that that corporate structure of that I mean you got to really you got to show up and 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 do whatever those guys tell you to do and I don't know that Marvel's uh, going to be good about that and you can't you can't slip up you can't be late to shows you can't you know call in sick you can't they're just you got to be invested in it and I don't know that he's necessarily um, invested in it as much as as some other guys are you know and that's not to say in 5 years he doesn't say okay look at I got to get this shit together let's go uh, but right now, I think he's kind of enjoying being a free, you know, spirit, and and you can't do that, WWE. Can you? So. Can you? Can't you totally see him being the kind of guy who maybe never ends up there because he's just like, if he can maintain, if he can make, I have no idea what he's making on the Indies. Yeah. Oh no, I think he's like. He's I, a I think Zach Saber's the same I mean, way. I think Zach Saber's the yeah. same way too. I think Saber, we're going to be talking about him of like, oh geez, that guy never really went to WWE. That's that's crazy because I think he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like you know, I, I'm. I could probably make enough money and be the star of the indies for the next five, yeah, ten right, years if you really want to. Yeah, when you're talking about guys like Matt Riddle and Zack Saber Jr. They're making top money. I mean, these are these are you know top five indie guys who are never uh, running short on bookings. They're top guys everywhere they go. I mean, I don't want to speculate on how much they're making, but I'm sure it's a lot more than me and you. You know, and 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 you know, and, and so if they can make a really good living by not going to WWE, and maybe they're not driven. By that carrot of okay, I could be a millionaire if I make it at that place. Not everyone's always driven by that. You know what I mean? If they can make a solid living, uh, you know, working independently, and if they could, you know, do that for the next five to eight years through the rest of their prime, I could see Matt Riddle just hand waving it and saying, "Fuck it, man." You know, if if they don't want me because they know I want to smoke weed or whatever the case may be, and and. You know, they don't think I have the right attitude, whatever the you know their reasoning is, and fuck them. I'm making good money doing this. You know, I you know, and and you know, I could totally see a scenario where he never ends up there. Yeah, and I think now more than ever, you could 
to have a career where you don't end up there and, and, and probably be fine. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes. So now we'll move on here. Don Waka asks, what argument could you make for Taichi winning the best of the Super Juniors tournament and then defeating Takahashi? You can make an argument for that. <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to. I mean, come on. I don't know if that's a joke question or. I think, I think he's just saying, like, hypothetically, you know, what's, what's a scenario can that we could plot our ass? Yes. I cannot. So I will let you try, Joe. Especially. Fuck Taichi. Well, so. If he was in the B block, I could almost argue, all right, maybe he can get out of the block. And then. But I mean, in that block. <laughs> yeah, he's in that. Block, he's in the block yeah. of death. I mean. He beats Ricochet, he beats Jushin Thunder Well, Liger, let me tell like... you, he's winning some of those matches. Oh, no, he absolutely is, but I would definitely have to have Gato's head checked if, if he decides Taichi should emerge from that A block yeah, as the winner. I so. mean, he's he's hitting someone in the balls with that hammer and rolling them up and holding the tights. I mean, he's beating some of those big names. Um, but no, there I cannot come up with any kind of scenario where he wins the tournament, no. All right, Philippe Pijek, I believe is how you pronounce it. He has this is a quest, uh, a question for Joe, so I'll stand out of this one. But uh, said, Mr. Lanza, you did a seven under the radar. He calls you Mr. Lanza. Jeez, wow. Uh, did, does anybody call you Mr. Lanza? That's the kind of respect I deserve. Okay, Rich? Okay, let's face did, it. Do you have uh, former employees? Did, did, did anybody call you Mr. Lanza when you were uh, running the show? Um, People try that now. They've tried it in the past. I I always say, are you the cool guy that goes, call me Joe? Yes, I don't like, okay, I don't want to be called, right. I don't want to be called Mr. Lanza. When you're doing your firm handshake, no, 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 call me Joe. The big like, thing in Texas is calling people Mr. by their first name. So like my neighbor called oh, Mr. Joe. Yes, yeah. My neighbor calls me Mr. Joe. Um, And I have employees who call me Mr. Joe, and I'm always like, just call me Joe. But I don't I'm not I don't keep pressing it. If they continue to call me Mr. Joe, I let it go. It's like, all right, it's just their thing. You're you're, you're just Joe, right? Yeah, I mean I'm not, you know, it's it's look, I am who I am. Look, Do you remember just Joe? This I remember just Joe, of course. He was a That was the greatest four week angle ever. Yeah, he was he was the gossip hound in the, Yes, uh, he was like a journalist, uh, yeah, like nah, before pre, like pre Gregory Helms, you know, j- Gossip columnist, just Joe or well, whatever the hell he was. He a, I thought he was just like a guy who spread rumors. No, I think he was supposed to be like, like what Larry Dallas just wasn't evolved. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's actually. I thought he was though. I thought it was something where, or maybe he was just a, um, uh, like, yeah, maybe he just stirred the pot or something. I, I, I'm trying I to think he was, was actually just a sleazy guy in the back. Well, because then there was like Gregory Helms, who was the journalist Gregory Helms, right? Well, am I well, making that up Gregory, or is that a real okay. thing? Gregory Helms thing was the superhero alter ego where it was like a takeoff on Clark Kent. Yeah, right, right, right. But the the just Joe I think was He was just he's just a shitster, right? He, he was, was a like... sleazy dude who would walk around the locker room and start shit by yeah, like starting false rumors and things like that. I don't think he was supposed to be like a reporter or like okay. a TMZ. He wasn't supposed to be like Ryan Satin. You know, he was just like uh, a sleazy guy in the locker room. And it didn't really go anywhere because he didn't last very long. But uh, didn't he come from that Rhino Edge Christian crew? I think he did. I think he. I think he might have. Yeah, I, I, I don't care to look it up because I don't know that he has. He, a he trained. Even, he but... trained with those guys. He he came out of that Canadian crew with Rhino and Edge and Christian and all that. That sounds that sounds about right. So uh, anyway, he says. So Mr. Lanza, you did a seven under the radar standouts of 2013 list where you listed Ricky Starks, Tomiaki Hanma, Othello, Flamita, Gato, Rayro, and the Great Depression. So. First off, how how's that list looking now? Well, the list was seven under-the-radar standouts of 2013. Those were seven guys who I thought impressed me. This is how long mm-hmm. long ago I wrote this. It was four years ago. But, I mean, those were four guys who impressed me in 2013 who I thought 
didn't get enough press. So being a member of the press, Rich, I decided to give those seven guys some press. Yeah. Um, but because they had good 2013s, it is interesting. It is an interesting uh, exercise to see where some of these guys are now. I mean, so let's let's take a quick look. Ricky Starks, I think he's had his best year probably this year working in the most high profile places. Right. I mean, he's working Wrestle Circus. He's doing the tag team with Aaron Solo, extra talented. So he's finally trying making some inroads in some of uh, the indies outside of uh, just the local Texas indies. Uh, Hanma, of course, 2013, if you remember, was the year that he really because he had that great match in December 2012 against uh, Masato Tanaka and Cork and Hall. Remember that? That, that for, Oh, yes. Yeah, I think it was for the IC title. And uh, I think it was the IC or might have been the never title one or the other. Yeah, it was one of the two. I forgot. Maybe not, it might have been. The, well, no, because it was before IC it was elevated. So, yeah, he had the, he had the IC, right? Tonight. Yeah, I think I think it was I think the never IC. was around yet. It was the Intercontinental title. I think mm, never was. Maybe it was. Never was 2013, wasn't it? I thought it was before, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they had that great match in Cork and Hall in, in December 2012, and then Hanma really broke out in 2013 as, uh, you know, doing his jobber gimmick. Um, Othello, I don't even, you probably don't even know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're, I'm lost on Othello. That was but... a guy from, uh, uh, from, uh, um, oh shit, uh, NWA Hollywood at the time. Uh, he was a seven foot dude. Who I thought would, you know, as soon as, you know, one of uh, someone from WWE laid eyes on him, he'd get signed, but he just disappeared. I have no idea what happened to him. So it was actually late 2011. It was for the IC title. All right, it was 11, not 12. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it was IC. Flamita, of course, um, 2013, he, you know, he got that Dragon Gate. His first, was that, wow, that was four years ago when he first popped yeah. in. Oh, maybe not, because I was watching DTU back then. That might have been why I wrote about him. I don't remember. Gato, of course, he had that that cool match in Cork and Hall against uh, against Prince Devitt, and he had all those cool tags with Okada. Ray Rowe, this is before anyone knew who Ray Rowe was, but he had a great year in 2013 in Texas. And the Great Depression was a cool gimmick that Inspire Pro Wrestling was doing um, uh, that, that I wrote about too. If I, yeah, what's what's the Great Depression doing these days? He still pops up now and then in Inspire Pro, and they do like uh, certain storylines with him, but. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a you know gimmick. It, 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 that's it, it. Only he's only in that promotion. He doesn't wrestle anywhere else in that gimmick. Um, I, I I thought I knew who it was, but I was wrong. And now I know who's under the hood. But um, it's it's someone who does wrestle oh. in other places. But it, that, that gimmick is an inspired gimmick. It's not a gimmick. A gimmick. We're we're pretty good at guessing who guys are. Under I was the wrong. Big I was wrong every time. So yeah, well that, that's a, a voice wrestling. You know, what I thought it was I thought it was Killer McKenzie, but then he wrestled against Killer McKenzie. <laughs> like so I, oh yeah, so no, I called yeah. up Biss and I was like, man, I thought Depression was Killer McKenzie, and he's like, nah, man, he it was never Killer McKenzie. And I was like, all right, because I thought they were doing something cute when they had. Oh, they were trying to yeah, ha ha ha. But it, it turns, yeah, noise, but, but yeah. it turns out it was never him, but. This is some deep. The only person who's familiar with Killer McKenzie listening to this is Aaron Quinn. Yes, yeah, well, that's the only person listening to the show right now who has. Any we know Aaron's listening, so that's of good. course. So. But she's the only one who knows who uh, uh, Killer McKenzie is. So this, uh, you know, this segment is for Aaron Quinn. But if I were to do this same list for 2017, I'm not going to give you seven guys. Can I give you one? Please guy? don't. Yeah, I'll give, give me. You can give me a few. I'll yeah. Give you a tag team. How about that. Okay, that works. I think under the radar standouts this year because they really only get steady work in one place is the boys. If you haven't seen the boys wrestle as a straight tag team, seek out their stuff Buy the wrestle circus. Uh, um, they, I guess they have a nine 99 monthly gimmick where you can watch all their, all six of their shows or whatever the hell they've mm-hmm. had the boys. I'm telling you, rich, have you seen them or no? 
Oh yeah, I, I've seen them. Um, I've seen them maybe once or outside so. Outside of seen, ROH, because so. yeah, well, I, outside of ROH, no, I haven't. No, I've only yeah. seen them in ROH. Because outside so. of ROH, they work a little different. They're you know ROH, they're just there to get beat up, so Dalton Castle doesn't have to take. You know what I mean? It's like these guys are good wrestlers. These are good workers. They have good matches. You know, I saw them uh, in, in a match with uh, uh, Keith Lee and Shane Taylor. You know, the Pretty Boy Killers. You know, and, you know, a huge size disparity, obviously. It was that same gauntlet match that the Gorillas of Destiny were in, as a matter of fact. And, you know, they, they were, went toe-to-toe with those guys. And they just, they, I'm telling you, if you have a chance to see the boys on an indie show, they are more than that, that Dalton Castle gimmick. Those guys, they're tiny. They're small dudes, okay? They're probably 5'4", 5'5", maybe 130 pounds soaking wet. But they can work. They're, they're excellent workers, and uh, I, I really wish they got more work in more places. That's a good one. Um, Joe, are you an MTV Challenge fan? I'm not. Okay, but he, uh, he asks here, because I, I, I used to be, so I guess I can answer this question and we can discuss it a little bit. Uh, as an MTV Challenge fan, what's your thoughts on CM Punk being on the Champs versus Pros season? And I had no idea this was even happening. I had no idea the challenge was still going on. I remember watching that back in high school. Um, I am stunned, and then I did a little bit of research, and, and I'll be damned, the challenge is still going on with some of the same people, which is uh, amazing as well, because I've you know <laughs> gone under many transformations since high school, uh, but these people are still congregating on random islands and doing obstacle courses uh, on MTV still, uh, you know, some 15 years later, but uh, thoughts on CM Punk being on there? I uh, don't really care. <laughs> CM Punk is it's kind of, yeah, you know... Some people really get caught up in what he does anymore. I'm kind of done with everything. And you were an and you were an enormous CM Punk fan. Yeah, but it's like uh, you know he's not wrestling. Like you don't care about his stated. No, I don't. You, you were a fan of the wrestler, right? And I watched the I, I watched the UFC fight. That was one of the rare UFCs that I watched uh, uh, the entire pay per view. And uh, which, when you saw him get his ass which, kicked, which, yeah. By the way, is why they booked him, so people can stop. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, because me and my friend who never watched UFC bought it and watched the entire show. So. But yeah, no, I, and, and yeah, he got killed, and that was like you're, ever since that happened, I was just kind of like, all right, well, I'm kind of done with CM Punk if, forever. So if he fights again, and Rob McCarron has to eat a second hat, he's got to eat the first hat, doesn't he? I don't, th- I don't know if he ate the first hat. He, I don't, he never did eat the first hat. Would you watch again? If Rob ate the hat, no, would you watch? Oh, if <laughs> would you watch CM Punk fight again? Um, I know everyone's first instinct is to go. Ah, fuck that! He's terrible. I would never watch. No, I. You know what? I, I kind of would. Know that yeah, I probably would. Yeah. I would watch too. And that's yeah. A, a, so many people bullshit when it comes to stuff like that. If CM Punk gets back in there, that'll be the biggest thing happening. Whatever night, everyone is going to watch him fight again. They're all full of shit if they say they're not going to watch him fight again. There is a morbid curiosity in watching a guy like CM Punk get back into that cage. I will one thousand percent watch him fight again. I did like I was watching the video of them uh, previewing the season of the challenge, and it said CM Punk MMA fighter on this. Like, you know, I mean? I'm surprised that it's a comic book writer and MMA fighter, CM Punk. You know, so, so obviously that's what he's known for is his MMA career. But uh, anyway, uh, this is from Dion. He asks: New Japan announced that every title is going to be defended in Long Beach. Who would you guys like to see challenging for those? Titles? I want to go back to Philip Pedrick here. He asked me why. Yeah, he yeah. asked me why my fantasy basketball team sucks this year. Yeah. I want to let him know I ghosted on that league. Okay, so that's probably why I, I, I finished in last place. Because I honestly thought, like, okay, it was one of those leagues where, like, four or five weeks in, I, it seemed like everyone else ghosted on the league. So I stopped changing my lineup and all that shit. Apparently this guy saw it through to the end. I think he's just mad because I beat him the year before. I think that's what happened there. So, listen, 
I was a champion. I won the Voices of Wrestling Fantasy Basketball League year before. I got nothing to prove, Philip. Okay, pal. Okay, you want to play? You want to invite me to your league next year, and you can guarantee nobody will go. I'll beat you again. And I want to let you know, Rich. I'm in JoJo Remy's Fantasy Baseball League. Okay, JoJo Remy, a uh, writer on our site. Uh, yeah, how's that going? The live reports from Japan. I'm in first place in JoJo's Fantasy Base Baseball League. Okay, so you know, as you know, Rich, Joe Lanza's. I'm kill. I'm killing it this year as well in my work work league. Yeah. I've stayed away from most of it, but like the day before the draft, my work, the guys from my work are like, "Come on, we need an extra guy." And I was like, "All right, fine, I'll do it." But yeah, I'm, I'm killing it. Right are now. they a bunch of jabrones? Are you going to clean up in this league or what? Uh, no, they're actually uh, there's like five of them that know what the hell they're doing. The, the yeah. bottom five are like, we need people, so we just like grab random people. But right. there's like four or five that are, are are know what the hell they're talking about, know what they're, they're doing. They're studying so. Pakoda projections and uh, you know, getting in there. Yeah, oh yeah, they're, two they're, knuckles they're, deep like you are. Yeah, but you know Joey Vado, Joey Bats, he's been helping me oh, a lot. You, the real Joey Bats, yeah. You got Vado, huh? Oh yeah, he's been. Guy's a machine, isn't he? I got quite the the team. I uh, the Eric Thames uh, experience oh, you got helped lucky. me quite a lot. You got lucky. There was oh, no, I, I I you did your homework I, on Thames, huh? I, I did. There was one week I forgot what it was. I, I, let me. I'm trying to fire it up. I hit so many home runs. It was the week that he went nuts, and then I also had Aaron Judge, and I had like a few other dudes. Let me find this week. Yeah, because I hit like a year's worth of home runs in one week. Teams hit like seven in one week. <laughs> yeah, here it is. So I had I had twenty seven home runs that week. Wow. <laughs> like the next closest in my league had twelve. <laughs> it's just like 20, damn it. Twenty seven home runs in, in a week is an enormous number in fantasy. Yeah, because you had so Mark Reynolds had three, Chris Owings had three, Charlie Blackman had two, Eric Thames had three, Robinson Cano had one, Joey Votto had two, Hanley Ramirez had two, Nelson Cruz had four, Aaron Judge had four, and Russell Martin had two. That wasn't even Thames Monster Week. <laughs> no, that's, I got the back end of that week. That was an incredible. There was week. one stretch where he hit a home run in four straight games against the Reds, and I just I, I couldn't even be mad anymore. Like every time the guy came up, he was crushing a dinger. The guy's incredible. You know, he's been drug tested four times this year. Yeah, which and is they claim these things are random. Yeah. I mean, yeah. give me a fucking break. The guy comes back from Korea. He's jacked up. He's hitting home runs left and right, and you're telling me they've randomly tested him four times. Yeah. Can we leave the guy alone for a couple months now? I mean, obviously he's clean. Can we chill out? I mean, I'd be annoyed if I were. Wouldn't you be annoyed if you were this guy? Oh, absolutely. And I think he did have a quote where he was just kind of like, "All right, guys, like you've tested me enough. I'm not. I'm doing anything." I mean, like, geez. And then you got you got John Lackey accusing him. Did you see that? Oh, that yeah. Well, it's John him. Lackey. He's a dickhead. Yeah. We all know that. But the guy hit an opposite field homer off Lackey. You know, and Lackey's telling reporters after the game, ah, this guy comes back from Korea, all of a sudden he's hitting op. Like, it's such an accomplishment. Yeah, opposite field home run. an opposite oh. field home run off of the great John Lackey, okay? Yeah, John, like, key of, like, the 70 RA this year, John hey, Lackey. Hey, listen, yeah. you're not Juan Marichal. Can you take easy? All right, you're not Sandy <laughs> Koufax. All right? Juan Marichal. It's, it's not, you know, you're, you're not Pedro Martinez, okay? There you go. That's, right. I think, a little now more relevant. Now I'm only 20 years dated. But still, Juan Marischal. you're no, you know, Christy Matthewson, all right? Like, Juan Marischal, quality is a Hall of Famer, Rich. You know? No, I agree. I, I know, but I, you know. But I mean, who, you know, who the fuck is John Lackey? Like, you, you can't hit an opposite field home run no. off the great John Lackey, who three weeks after he retires, no one will even remember the guy. I mean, give me a fucking break. I mean, the balls on this John Lackey, you know. It'd be like Zack Ryder, like, uh, you know, ripping somebody for having a good match or something. Like, you're, you're Zack Ryder. Stay in your lane, you know? You're, you're John Lackey. I, I don't know if he's the Zack Ryder of pitchers. He's probably a little above that, but not not very he's, much. I, I've always thought he's like the JBL because he's always been like the baseball police guy, too. Yeah, he's an asshole. 
Yeah, he's, he's throw at you if you look at a home run too long, if you touch a bat too much. You know what I mean? Like he's he's been like front and center baseball police guy, and he's like this old school, you know, Southern drawl, like you know, get these Latins out of my game type guy. Constantly so like, barking at umpires during the yeah. game, and and and, and, uh, and maybe the hardcore Holly of 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 baseball. That's, Is that that's fair? a good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Except when you have a book to sell, then you're nice to everybody. Right, exactly. Yeah, because JBL was actually like kind of good, but uh, John Lackey was like only okay, and that's like hardcore Holly. I always thought he was like the shit, and it's like hardcore Holly is your def- Thurman Sparky plug. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, definitely just a guy, right? Like, right. Like, imagine if he didn't like if he never found the hardcore Holly gimmick. Like, he'd be a total flame out. Like, he'd just be Thurman Sparky plug with his dumb mullet and his stupid car racing gimmick. You know, and and we we'd be we we would have forgotten about him like the pug Alex Porto. You know, he'd be the pug Alex Porto. I have no idea. Who you don't even remember is. that, right? No. <laughs> he debuted in the company right around the same time, like 1994. The pug Alex Porto. He was a glo- he was a wrestler from Global. He was a Texas guy. WWE brought him in in like 1994, and his the pug? his gimmick was the pug. I swear to God, it was like a amateur wrestling style gimmick because you know okay. he was short and he was like. Short and and like stocky, and his gimmick was the pug Alex Porto. I swear to you, I'm not making that up. Okay, I'm looking this up. Yeah, so it says he used the same thing song as the Steiner Brothers. That's yeah, so cool. he, his gimmick was like an amateur, like shooter kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Sometimes he teamed up with Aldo Montoya and Bob Holly after a year at the company. He left, and then yeah, he was like a he was like a uh, jobber to the stars. He wasn't like a, a TV. He was above like the Barry Horowitz, Steve Lombardi's of the world, but he was, mm-hmm. but he never beat anyone. Those are the only kind of guys he. He was a jobber to the stars. That was. Well, this is this is an incredible little fun fact here at WrestleMania 25. Porto participated as a member of John Cena's army. Wait, that was years later. That's a fun fact. Wait a of all minute, fun WrestleMania facts. Yeah. 25. That was like 2000. Yeah. What the fuck? Why? Why on earth would, would, would he? <laughs> I have don't know. That? I don't Did know. He show up to like a casting call or something. And when he showed up, was he like, "Hey, man, I was the pug." <laughs> right for yeah, nine months remember. in 1994. So do I have Vince? Like, I don't know if you remember me, but I was the pug, and I had a yeah. I had a killer seven minute match against T. L. Hopper on Superstars. Uh, you, you you probably recall. So can I have this fifty dollar uh, spot here on the WrestleMania? How much did those guys? They probably made like fifty bucks each, right? Yeah, about that. Yeah. So that is the bizarre fact, and it's even yeah, more that bizarre that someone impressive. recognized him. <laughs> right? They're like, he had to have said in an interview. Which a, why are you interviewing at the pug at any point in life? But that's a, he was that's a fun fact. He was a good little worker in Global, and I was I was happy to see him get a chance in WWF. But um, and at the time it was WWF, so you can't rip me for saying that. But uh, yeah, he didn't let. It was that whole TL Hopper. Freddie Joe Floyd, uh, the goon. Remember these guys when they? Yeah, right. But why was he the pug? I be, because I I think because he was stocky and short, and you know how like a pug is like stocky and short, like like that's kind of like an old slang term for like like a bar fighter. Like you call that guy's a real pug. You don't want to fuck with him. Like that kind of thing. Like I think it was. Look, I'm not defending it. It was stupid, but I'm just trying. Okay, to... well here, well, thankfully we have a a Russell Crap induction from him. Okay. Uh, thankfully, they're good friends at, at Russell Crap, and there's also an MP that I won't play, but it says, uh, whatever the uh, whatever money the WWF saved on music and ring attire, they didn't invest in a dictionary. When asked exactly what a pug is, Jim Ross responded, that's a fighter, someone who's tenacious that never gives up. Yeah. So he said, a pug is a fighter. Right. So JR, so okay, I never knew that. That was a uh, slang term. Yeah, it's an old slang term for a fighter, but it came from like the dog breed. You know what I mean? Okay. But the funny yeah. thing is, if you know anything about that dog breed, 
Yeah, it's just like <laughs> they're just balls of. Fl- they're the nicest dogs. They look yeah, right. They, look they mean. sleep and snort. Yeah, and they're they're snorty and they're goofy. And... They got their little curly tails. They get gassed real easy. Like you take them for a walk, and they. I used to. Ha- I had two pugs, and if when I took them for walks, I couldn't even get halfway around the block. <laughs> no, they're like they tap yeah, out. Like, they just sit on the sidewalk. Like, Fuck this. They're like, <laughs> I'm not going. You're either picking me up, or this walk ends right here, and then I'd have to pick them up like the two of them under each arm and walk them home. So it's kind of like, I don't know why people who are tough were named, I guess just because they looked. Yeah. Were pugs ever tough ever? Like, I feel like, I feel like that breed has always been that way. They were bred as Chinese fighting dogs, but I think now, you know, hundreds of years later, they're just, they've been bred down to just little, like like a toy dog. And now just, now unfortunately they can't breathe because they They have massive breathing problems. And they also have problems with their eyes. Like sometimes they're not the most coordinated dogs, so they can run into walls very easily and it injures their eyes because they have the eyes that bug out and their eyes can get, their eyes are very, uh, very sensitive to getting scratched and banging into things. And yeah, so there's, there's some Alex Porto talk. I bet. There we go. Yeah, you did not expect that. That's why we do these question shows. Uh, so Dion, is, again, as we tried to answer 20 seconds ago, or 20 minutes ago, he said uh, New Japan announced that every title is going to be defended. Did they? I, I don't know. Did you see yes, that? They did. Did they, yeah. Oh, they did. Okay, so that is confirmed. Uh, who would you guys like to see challenging for all these titles? I'm going to do a little bit of a cop-out answer. I kind of have to see what happens at Dominion before I decide because I don't know where the titles are going. So do I. I can't give specific guys. We don't know who are even going to hold these titles. The thing I'll say is since the show sold out instantly and then the tickets that they put on sale afterwards sold out instantly, there's not as much pressure to deliver matches that will draw. With that said, there is pressure to deliver matches that will deliver in terms of you have to give the American fans on the first impression a quality show or you risk them not coming back for the second show. If you give them a bunch of six-man tags, if you give them some lazy quirk and show, people are going to be pissed that they flew out to this thing and spent a lot of money on plane tickets, hotels, and, and wrestling tickets to see a Garbo show. So you got to give them good bell to bell. With that said, Rich, you don't have to blow money matches on this thing now. And I know people aren't going to like that answer, but that's just the reality of the situation. I'm not doing... Uh, you know, Okada Omega 3 on this show. Whereas if they were still had tickets to sell, I might do that match on this show. I'm not doing that now. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I still love your idea of Okada versus Tanahashi. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. I think it's the perfect match for one of these shows. You're not burning a, 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 match, a money match in Japan because it's been done a million times. It's a match that American fans will eat up. It'll be super over. But again, so I would do matches that are guaranteed to be good bell to bell. Whatever title matches I do, I mean, obviously, these shows have to feature the Young Bucks heavily. These shows have to feature Kenny Omega heavily. Uh, you want to make sure that you're featuring uh, your American, your, I'm sorry, your English speaking. I think Will Ospreay has to be on these shows. I mean, this is why I think it's, the time is right to push Will Ospreay. I'm getting a lot of kickback on that on Twitter. I, just you know, saying that I think he's going to win best of the Super Juniors or at least win his block, but now's the time if you're going to push him. He's the only guy Hiromu hasn't faced, and you have these Long Beach shows coming up that you're going to want to heat him up for. Remember, these are not going to be out-of-canon shows for the Japanese fans, okay? If these were going to be out-of-canon shows for the Japanese fans, you could kind of do whatever you want with them. But this is the perfect time to heat Will up because you can give Will Ospreay um, – uh, meaningful matches in Long Beach if you heat him up now. So that's why I think he has a chance to win best of the Super Juniors for the second year in a row because it's a guy that American fans like and he's an English speaker and he'd be a great guy to feature 
on those shows. So I, you know, to again, it's kind of a cop out answer from me too. Yeah, but, but it's it's hard to know without Dominion. But I, I think people are there's going to be a lot of angry people. I think after Dominion because I think a lot of Dominion is going to be done to set up these Long Beach shows and make them important shows. Yep. So and I think people are going to be upset about. It. Oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys that win that people are going to eye roll and oh my god, Gaijin, da, 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 whatever. But you know, these are big deals. This is a huge moment. I mean, yes, no, you know, New Japan has been in. They're in Dearborn, Michigan, right now. They're doing, but this is unlike any. This isn't the ROH thing. This is them. This is a big deal. These shows. Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, I'm still not sure about this whole American thing. But look, Kadani's serious about it. So yeah, Dominion's going to. You're not getting shitty tag matches. Dominion, that, your, your main event is not going to be you know four random New Japan guys in a tag match. And, and yeah, and Dominion to some extent is going to set these shows up. And, mm-hmm. and you're right, people are going to be annoyed with that. But if you're going to go full steam ahead with this and do it right, you have to do it that way. All right, Rollup asks, what are your thoughts on the current Ring of Honor doing much better business than the, quote, golden era, uh, golden era period of Ring of Honor? Well, I mean, they're on TV in, what, 40-something markets or whatever it is. Yeah, bots be a lot more as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're cutting a deal. Uh, Sinclair is cutting a deal with... Um, uh, it's done. Yeah, it's done. They bought uh, Tribune. So yeah. now they get all the Tribune networks, so they'll uh, presumably get WGN America. Um, which, well, not not presumably. They'll get WG in America. They'll get WG on local. Uh, in Chicago, Chicago's a market that we don't get Ring of Honor TV right now, and now we're going to start getting it a lot of other. And, and WG in America is everywhere. So that's, and WG in proper is everywhere as well. So, uh, yeah, that's it's that's a big deal for them. So there it is right there. I and mean, Chicago, not... which is traditionally a good market for ROH, now they're going to get the ROH TV, and uh, that's only going to help more. Because WGN, for people who don't know, we've got international listeners. I mean, Rich, you live there. It's a big, it's a huge deal in Chicago. Cubs games and everything else. So, uh, you know, WGN is is a big deal in your city. And, uh, yeah, Tribune, this, you know, them, Sinclair buying Tribune, that is a huge business deal. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, my thoughts on that are they have um, TV in, in, in tons of major markets now, and, you know, that if this proves that TV is the key, they didn't have TV in those days. And if they did, maybe that would have made a difference, but with TV everywhere now, and, and look, I talk about it all the time here in my backyard, you know, uh, San Antonio was never a ring of honor town, never even close to being a ring of honor town. They get a Sinclair station. They get ring of honor TV. Those are all new ring of honor fans since the Sinclair purchase. And they draw between, uh, you know, they do like 800 fans in San Antonio every time out now. And that's all based on they've built that strictly off of the TV. It was not an ROH town. So your answer is TV. That's why they draw more fans yeah. now. I mean, I even noticed it um, even during the HD Net era of Ring of Honor, of going to the shows pre-HD Net or whatever, which had their certain fan bases, and then post-HD Net. And HD Net was barely, I mean, that was a blip on the radar and it wasn't that big of a deal. But even then, you could see. Yeah. New fans and, and the shows I went to when they were on HD Net were, were were much bigger. I mean, the crowds were just bigger. It's just more people saw it. So yeah, moving from a tape trader torrent online, it's a new. It was a newsletter base. crowd. The, the old right, R- exactly. the ROH that that we are, are fond of, the 2005 to 2007 ROH when they were hot. That was a newsletter crowd. All the ninety percent of that crowd was a newsletter. yeah news a newsletter and message board crowd. Yep. And now they're not. Now they're. Uh, 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 you know, a worldwide company in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think that's it right there. I mean, that's, that's all you really need to know. So, 
Uh, Arms of Sleep asks, uh, every Japanese company needs an ace or two to survive long term. The only major Japanese company that seems to be in a bad place right now is Noah. They have Old Guard with Go, Fuji, uh, Segura, and that has carried them for a while. But the closest thing they have to a, quote, ace is Nakajima. So is he actually an ace? So that's maybe a few part question. So maybe I'll ask this first. Is he actually an ace, Nakajima? Well, technically, he's their ace. Uh, I, the business is not – he's not uh, – business is not climbing with him as champion. I think that's a little unfair to blame him. Um, they're starting over from from scratch and trying something new and have new owners. And he was obviously the right choice. Uh, was the timing wrong? Uh, possibly. But again, remember, Jado's the one who put the belt on him. So he, he, he you know, Jado built it out. He just built to it too late. And then they made the changes and they left it on him. My timeline's right, right? Didn't, yeah, Jado pulled the trigger on Nakajima. It, that was uh, before the purchase. I'm almost positive. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but yeah, so I mean, technically he is. He's just, but he's not, you know, they're, they're not producing right now, no, under Nakajima. No, and he says, uh, so then he, he goes on Arms of Sleep. Um, he asks, uh, could, could he keep them in business for four to seven years more alone? And if not, just assume not, who could possibly fill that role for Noah? Is it someone on the roster? And if not, then where does he come from? Do you? I don't think people realize how quickly time moves in wrestling. Seven years is like nineteen fucking lifetimes. Look at any pro wrestling company you want to, and look at them seven years ago, and look at them today, and it's essentially a different fucking company. Seven years ago in New, J- New Japan was two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Think about where New Japan was in two thousand ten, and who was working shows in two thousand ten. Think about uh, and you know pick a company. I mean, so to project five to seven years out is impossible. I mean, you just can't. It's even two years is an enormous period of time. So <laughs> this is a fun little exercise joke. Can you give me the top two matches of Dominion in two thousand ten? Oh my god, um, Nakamura, Nakamura. Nope, wasn't in one of the top two. Nope. Holy shit. I don't even. I, you've, then I have no idea where to go. Uh, okay, so you got um, the semi-main event was Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Toru Yano in a hair versus hair match. Okay. And your main event was Togi Makabe defending his IWGP Heavyweight Championship, of course, against Go Shiozaki. Okay, that's fine. But what was Nakamura doing on that show? Uh, he defeated Daniel Pewter. Is that like what was that like? <laughs> centuries ago? Fourth from the top or something? <laughs> That was the uh, sixth in the top, actually. All right, so he was kind of down cycling at that point because that yeah. was when he was. Though that those years were when Nakamura was, uh, you know, in the title mix um, more often than not. So I'm surprised, but I guess, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But um, it just goes to show you how much different the company. Yeah, is right I now. mean that's my Toroyano's semi main event and Prince Devitt defending his junior title. Against Marufuji, or de- uh, defeating Marufuji for uh, his junior, I think his first junior heavyweight championship. Yes, they, were, so. they were doing stuff with Noah at the time, and I guess they were keeping Nakamura out of that. But um, and that was, of course, pre charisma Nakamura. That was strong style Nakamura. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so which is why he's probably had a hard. I don't remember that Daniel Pewter. I'm sure it was putrid. Um, <laughs> Following the hair versus hair match, Tajiri made a surprise return to the promotion, saving Tanahashi from Yano and Azuka and helping him shave Yano bald. Yeah. So, yes, that was seven years ago. So, it's a little hard to predict 
after that show, Joe, I want you to then go on a message board and go, you know what? I think it's seven years. This company's going to tour America <laughs> and like sell it out in 20 seconds. You know, I mean, they toured America the next year, <laughs> technically. <laughs> well, but, uh, well, yeah, but but well. I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> but uh, that uh, wasn't the best idea. For anybody, but yeah. Well, it was a great idea for New Japan. They were sold shows. I mean, you know, they, it worked out. <laughs> Not so much for the, uh, you know, the the host company, but you know, didn't make you know didn't work out for Fat Frank, who unfortunately is no longer with us. But it didn't work out for him, um, and his company went dark for a year or two uh, because of it. But it worked out for New. Hey, look, New Japan. You know, they rolled out their uh, Intercontinental Title on that tour, and. Um, I, I think Okada lost in the first round of that tournament. He was on excursion at the time, and they brought him in for those shows, and I think he lost in the first round to maybe, – maybe it was MVP as a matter of fact. I, I don't remember exactly, but I did do know that Okada was in that Intercontinental title tournament and did lose in the first round. So uh, those were the three shows, of course, in Philly. Uh, you were, yep, you were correct. Lost MVP, right? Uh, Okada lost to MVP. Yeah. And those are the three shows in, in Philly at the arena, uh, Basketball City in New York, and uh, Rawway, New Jersey were the three shows, I believe, uh, 2010. And I remember being annoyed because I had just moved to Texas like 10 months earlier, so I wasn't able to go because, um, of course, I would have been all over that, um, you know, that the novelty of you know New Japan running shows. And that's where Charlie Haas earned a title shot against Tanahashi. He may have even gotten it on that tour. Didn't Haas face Tanahashi in New York? On that tour, uh, I don't see the full. I'm just looking at the tournament uh, bracket right now. I, I don't actually see the full shows. I haven't. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I could cook around if I needed to, but I think I think Tanahashi defended the uh, the big belt. It was the only belt then, because um, of course this was to crown an, an IC champ, um, and there was no never title at the time. So, uh, and I think the U30 title was long gone by that point. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Tanahashi defended the title against Charlie Haas on one of those shows, and I think it was the New York show. Charlie Haas, Rich, <laughs> of all people. I bet he gave 110% for that match, as, as Charlie Haas always gave 110%. Charlie Haas was somebody. a strange dude. I mean, he he was a heck of a wrestler in WWF, and um, he's obviously part of that cool tag team, and then um, he, he was a weird wrestler in Ring of Honor, and I saw him have some really weird indie matches in Texas where he would wrestle with like Under Armour, like he'd wrestle in an Under Armour t-shirt, and like it just—it wasn't because he was out of shape. He was just Charlie Haas just became a really odd guy. I, I don't yeah. know what happened to him, but he just—he's a weird dude. He then he get in that fight with um, um, Mitch Franklin in Ring of Honor, and Mitch yeah, ended up yeah. getting mm-hmm. fired. But he was already Grizzly Redwood at that point, I think. He was he was grizzly. Yeah, they fired him when he was grizzly. Yeah, which sucks because grizzly was the best. Yeah, and I, I don't know what I, I don't even think he if he wrestles now. It's uh yeah I'm looking it up now. Yeah, Tanahashi uh, did in fact because okay I, this is what it was on the first night of the tour, Charlie Haas and Rhino beat Tanahashi and Makabe in a tag, <laughs> and that's how they set up Charlie Haas that's getting awesome. the title shot on the second night in New York. So Tanahashi has this random ass title defense against Charlie Haas. <laughs> And that was during Tanahashi's long run, the record-breaking run, if you remember, the one before he, uh, you know, uh, lost to uh, Okada in uh, February of 2012. So Charlie Haas was part of that long Tanahashi run. So, um, hey, look, I mean, New Japan, 
they 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 mixed in some Americans. They gave you a little Charlie Haas, a little Rhino, some MVP. And of course, remember that tournament was designed to get MVP over. Remember, it was a big deal when MVP went to New Japan at the time. Do you remember that? Oh, huge! Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how I one of my first you know big times of, of, of kind of following what was going on in in New Japan was because MVP was there and it was a big deal on the message boards. Oh my God, MVP is like, cause it was immediately after, I mean, he, he, you know, left out and then immediately was, was doing that. And it was like, Holy shit. Like they scooped this guy up. Like he, I don't even remember him doing much, uh, in the way of any like indies or anything. like he didn't do ring of honor he didn't do any of that stuff nah, right? he was a guy it was he didn't do tna or anything nah, it was he his, went, right it was there his yeah dream to work new japan because he was the big masa chono fan and mm-hmm. studied his tapes in prison I, I i think that's legit like he would study masa chono tapes in prison and then when he got out of prison he wanted to be red and then you know he really like and then his run in new japan which i actually had high hopes for that i thought he was going to do great in japan because i figured he'd be motivated and you know i'm a big you know i'm a big believer in motivation being very important in, in wrestling you know these guys are better when they're motivated i thought he'd do great and he was just a wet fart in new japan yeah <laughs> mvp was just not good in that company i mean you know he would do all of his standard wwe spots like the ball and elbow and shit like that and it just didn't fit in new japan at all and um he slid down the card and uh, they, they designed that belt to build around him and it just didn't work out. And uh, that belt really was a nothing belt. And, you know, other than until, uh, you know, Masato Tanaka had it forever because I feel it just they didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't until Nakamura, of course, and they had the idea to elevate it to a one uh, B title. And that was one of the most brilliant moves that that the company ever made elevating that title. I mean, you could argue that with the exception of maybe rocket packing Okada that the second best move that company has made in the Kadani era was elevating that intercontinental title. Yeah. Well, it's made them, they made, they now don't have to burn title matches all the time. And it's made them, you know, they legit have a second drawing, you know, tour almost in a, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And that thing main event and, and, and main event a show and, and do well. They so could split all these big shows and draw two houses now because it, yeah. it was just, I mean, it kind of sucks from a standpoint of like, we don't get those mega shows anymore except for Wrestle Kingdom, right. but eh, you know, you can't argue with the business, you can't argue so. with the business side, the business side, yeah. it, the, the intercontinental title being a one B title is an absolute home run. You can't argue against it. It's one of the best decisions the company ever made. Um, but yeah, uh, Kazuchika Okada, they did bring him back for that tour. Uh, his matches are actually really funny. He lost to MVP in the first round of, uh, of the, of the intercontinental tournament. And then in New York city, um, it, his funniest match is the last match, but, uh, his, uh, his match on the second night, let me see if I can find, uh, the Okada. Oh, Kenny Omega worked the second Kenny Omega. Holy shit. <laughs> Kenny Omega defeated Josh Daniels in the opener in New York city. How about that? Huh. So anyway, Okada's match, Davey Richards, Homicide, and Rhino defeat <laughs> Rusuke Taguchi, Togi Makabe, and Kazuchika Okada in New York City. And then on the third night, listen to this one. Gato, Jado, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Yujiro defeat Charlie Haas, Josh Daniels, Tiger Mask, and Kazuchika Okada in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, uh, yeah, and then they sent them back to TNA, I guess. After those, uh, you know who else worked those shows, Rich? Hideo Saito, who is on the milk carton now because we haven't seen Bone Soldier since when? Bone Soldier's been gone since uh, when's the last time we saw Bone Soldier? <sighs> yeah, it's been a while, unfortunately. What was it? Uh, have we seen him this year at all? If we have, well, he was in the Rambo, right? He was in the Rambo. I think that was it for him. And maybe the next night. It was around January. He hasn't been around since like. Yeah, it's, it's January at the absolute 
latest. Yeah, is, is the one. You know, he's he's only like thirty three or something like that. That was the thing. It's I remember like, looking that up once, and I was like, "Holy!" I think that's what I. I, I think I might have done his bio in the, in the last year's uh, New Japan book, and being like, "Oh my god, this guy's thirty three And then like listing other wrestlers that are thirty three, and like all those guys are like these unbelievable guys, and like these great in ring. And it's like, dude, he works like he's like sixty. You would think he's like fifty five, and he's thirty three. Like he's, what? He's thirty five. His last match was New Year Dash. And, okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he was still Hideo Saito at that time. And later that year, I know he teamed with Azuka in the World Tag League 2011. Could you Oof. picture that tag team? Hideo Saito <laughs> and Azuka. And then that was it for Saito. Shortly after that, he became Captain New Japan, which I'll tell you that in hindsight, that wasn't that bad. I mean, Captain New Japan was a fun guy to have around on the undercards. You got really into Captain New Japan. I did. I did. I was all in on Captain New Japan. And then, uh, you know, he turned on Yoshitatsu, became Boner Soldier, and we haven't seen him since uh, uh, January 5th, but he was even... they Rich, they brought everyone on that tour. I was so pissed I missed that thing. Third night, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Kenny Omega defeats Jushin Thunder Liger for the Jersey All-Pro light heavyweight title. Wow. I like to get my hands on these shows. That'd be pretty cool. Wouldn't yeah, they be fun Kenny... to watch in hindsight? Absolutely, yeah. Kenny, Kenny wasn't Kenny at that point yet, though. He he still he was uh, getting there he was getting there. He was he, definitely getting there. He yeah. wasn't annoying 2009 Kenny Omega. Which oh, that was the worst. Yeah, I that was a guy that I like legitimately hated. By 2011, he was he was uh, having some awesome match. He in 2012 and 13, it was off we go. But uh, yeah, by 11, he was getting there. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Davy Richards in a singles match. I want to get my hands on these. How about this one? How about this one, Rich? It's the Dylan Hale special right there. <laughs> you got to get that and then send it to him. So. How about uh, how about Giant Bernard and Carl Anderson taking down Dan Moff and Satoshi Kojima? How about that? oh, that's a lot of girth. <laughs> that matches girthy. Yeah, the classic tag team of Dan Moff and Satoshi Kojima. <laughs> Where the hell was Tenzon? Oh, you know what? Tenkoji didn't get back together until 2012 or 13. That's right. So they wouldn't have teamed together. But uh, now that I'm looking at this, I don't know that Tenzon was on the tour. He must have been hurt or something. But they wouldn't have teamed together anyway. Or his ass didn't want to fly all the way to New Jersey. He was like, nah, I'm good. Hey, man, he flew to Texas. I saw yeah, that's Texas. True. Well, so. Maybe he likes Texas. Maybe he likes the atmosphere. Texas. I saw that man shirtless outside the venue in flip-flops, smoking a cigarette, scaring small children in the park that the <laughs> venue was located. You have this enormous Japanese man with a mullet wearing, like, basket like wrestling at least if you're not a wrestling fan wrestling tights look very weird uh on a grown man in public with no shirt on wearing flip-flops smoking a cigarette so uh uh tenzon there were there were children pointing and scared and it was one of those things where you forget you have a camera in your pocket to take video i definitely would have taken video of that if uh i was thinking on my feet but uh doesn't look like he was on this little american tour no tenzon i wonder what the deal was mvp beat tetsuya naito in the semifinals of that tournament that's probably not bad, right? Uh, at the time, Naito wasn't Naito. Nah, he was he was fine though. I mean, he was okay. It probably wasn't that bad. I mean, but I I have no faith in these MVP. MVP, yeah, that's that's true. You know, right. so uh, that was that was uh, that was some tournament. Let me see if there's. Let's see. Uh, when else would we have talked about that? But a question show. So that's Hideo Saito was that? He lost Yujiro versus Hideo Saito. Oh God. <laughs> Naito versus Josh Daniels. How about this one, Rich? 
I don't even remember Josh. I don't even remember Josh. He's an, Daniels, he's an indie dude from that era. He was nothing special. Um, Toru Yano defeats Dan Moff in the first round of the IWGP Intercontinental Title Tournament. And, of course, MVP over Okada. That was a shit tournament. Oh, my God. The lineup was just... So, look at <laughs> look at this singles match on this Sunday. Satoshi Kojima defeats Kenny Omega. I got to get my hands on that. Yeah, you got to find this I, thing. I, I I'm gotta, sure it's got to be available somewhere, right? We got to get our hands on these shows and review them. That's what we should do. 587 fans in Rawway saw Satoshi Kojima beat Kenny <laughs> Omega. And they didn't even know. They didn't even know what they were saying. Anyway, I'll move on here. Joe Gagne, of course, the great Joe Gagne, here says, most likely outcome for 205 Live in 2017. He says, A, the show is outright canceled. B, a major retooling, either moved to full sale, multiple episodes taped in a night, etc. Or C, status quo. So, Joe, what do you think is going on with 205 Live this year? I think the most likely outcome, which is his question, is status quo. Because I think if they've stuck with it this long, I think if Vince was going to get tired of it or annoyed with it, he would have been early on. Um, so I think it's here to stay. I think the second most likely outcome is a major retooling. And I don't see it being canceled. Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, we'll see. Because I don't know if you saw this, but earlier in the week, uh, WWE sent out an email and let people know that Talking Smack will now air at eleven or uh, 10.30 Eastern. So that means the 205 Live is now only 30 minutes long. So I think there's a few things that are going to happen there. And I think we were already kind of seeing a little bit of his, his second option, the major retooling. Because I think now that it's 30 minutes and, you, you know, it kind of sucks. But I think a lot of guys are, are probably going to get caught. Hey, I, listen, I thought that months ago. I think, yeah. I think they're going to purge that Cruiserweight roster. But I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um no, I think it's going to stay, but I think they're going to start doing some different things. I don't, I don't think they're going to move it to full sale because I think it works too well just to do it in the arena. I mean, I, I think it's stupid, but if they want to do it in the arena, that's fine. But I I could see it go in the way of uh, Superstars or Main Event or whatever, where you go before the show and they tape you know five episodes of 205 Live. And then, especially if it's 30 minutes and the matches you can fill in with vignettes and, and backstage shit or whatever, you have those guys go out there, they have 10-minute matches, they have seven 10-minute matches, then you're good to go for, you know, you know for months. You know, the 30-minute thing isn't as big a deal as people think because it, it was only like a 43-minute show or something like It never ran like, like 60 minutes. It was always like a – right? Isn't it like 43 minutes or something like that when it was full length? Um, I could be wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I – I don't know. Um, I, I, I can definitely see them cutting guys. I thought that was going to come anyway because, you know, half of it, look at Dorada. I mean, you never see the guy. I mean, you know, what's the point of having these guys around if you're going to do nothing with them? It's just an added expenditure that you don't need. Um, they don't even send them on the road, right? I mean, these guys, they, some of them do the Largo loop. Um, but how many of these guys are going on house show tours? Do any of them go on house show tours? I haven't looked at a house show. Yeah, I, I haven't really looked much either. So I don't so, know if like a Drew Gulak is, is doing yeah, a house show loop like, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Or even Neville and Aries in the top guys. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that they're doing that. But, um, but you know, for the rest of 2017, what, we got six, seven months left. I, I don't think it's going to die in 2017. I think it'll last a year. So, you know, after that, who knows? All right, uh, Mr. Josh Dude says, with such a stacked junior division right now in New Japan, do you see any of the names there bulking up a little and joining the heavyweight scene in the next year or so? Well, we're kind of already rumored, you know, Zack Sabre, uh, Dave Meltzer mentioned in last week's uh, Wrestling Observer that he's going up to heavyweight. Uh, anybody else? Like, is Kushida, Ricochet, Osprey, Taguchi, Dragon Lee, any of those guys you think bumping up a weight class? Kushida wants to. Um, Semper Vivi seems to think he is. Said that on the show a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't really see anybody else. I, the, the, the interesting, the one to watch is Hiromu because I think that they have big plans for that guy. So um, now, do those big plans mean continued elevation of the junior title to the point that it's treated as a one B in the same vein as the Intercontinental title? People might think that's crazy. I, Rich, do you think that's so crazy? I mean, why not? If you can, no, and I, I think that's actually to me what I would do, and I, I think that they might be kind of thinking that way as well. I think now more than ever would be a great time to just instead of these people thinking that you need to move up a weight class to get any respect, or you need to move up a weight class to get a big you know moment. I think we're already kind of. I think the glass ceiling is a already been broken and now can only go higher. Where yeah, like you're saying, you could you could main event a junior title match. Like, I, I don't think that that's did one last year. that out of question. Exactly. Like, so I don't think it, you know, they did it last year and I, I, I don't think it's out of the question. They could do it again. And I, I don't think it's out of the question that a junior match could be the semi main at a wrestle kingdom or whatever. I don't think that's that nuts right now, especially with, you know, what they're doing with Hiromu and what Kushida's done to rebuild that division. And as this guy said, as Mr. Josh Dude said, and as we've said with as stacked of a junior division as, as, as a really good division as they have. I mean, why not? I mean, I think, I think we're past the days of, you know, juniors being juniors and heavyweights being heavyweights. I think we, yeah, we, saw that even a few months ago remember or god it seems like six months ago now where they basically just said yeah whatever you know junior guys can go for the world title or the world tag titles if they want who cares you know and they broke that down already they've already said that doesn't really all matter all that much so it's it's one of those things where um i think a lot of the old traditions are going to slowly go by the wayside as the company continues to attempt to grow because they're going just going to simply have to if, if, if the juniors get hot, if, if one junior gets hot and let's say Hiromu to the point where they feel like he can headline shows, then there's really no reason to move him up, right? Because if he's, if he's able to draw as a junior, then you headline him as a junior. Just because they haven't traditionally done that doesn't mean that they, can, that, that, can, that they can't do that, okay? It's not 1984. It's not 1989. It's not um, Ricky Choshu isn't the booker. Anoki's long gone. I mean, these are different bookers with a different vision. This is a different owner with a different vision. And there were times in the past where the junior title was higher on the card. Um, but I mean, if, if Hiromu catches uh, fire and is a, a can be a competent, legitimate headliner as a junior, then what's the need to move him up? I mean, the bottom line is if you're drawing a house, you're drawing a house. Does it matter what your weight class classification is? If the, as long as you get the fans to buy into it, it, it doesn't matter. So I, I, I don't know if necessarily – I think this old idea that you have to move up in order to be a top guy, maybe, maybe this whole Hiromu thing is, is them you – know, look, who would – look, we just talked about the Intercontinental title and how it was a nothing thing when it was on MVP – when that title right, was on right, MVP, yeah. who would have ever get? If I would have told you, hey, in two years that Intercontinental title is going to be headlining the Tokyo Dome, which it did, by the way, or that Intercontinental title is going to headline major shows and sell out Sumo Hall or, and things like that, you would have thought I was insane. So it might be insane to say that New Japan Juniors could headline shows coming down the road, but who the fuck knows? It's look if you can get the Intercontinental title over as a main event level deal. Look, it's wrestling. We talk about this all the time. You can get anything over if you put enough effort into it and pick the right people. They picked the right guy with Nakamura and they got that fucking belt over. And now they have a great tool to, to grow their business. If you if Hiromu's the right guy and they picked the right guy and he gets himself over all of a sudden, juniors can be headliners. I don't think that's absurd at all, and I think it's realistic. No. 
That's going to be pretty cool to see if, if that does and happen. And I don't like this idea of, well, that just doesn't happen in Japan. No, that's the, well, get, get, get rid of that. Yeah, we, we've, been, we've been dealing with that for the past few weeks. Of, oh, this can't happen. This can't happen. Their, oh, that's people with their feet in cement who don't want to grow and change. It's If the juniors get over, there's no reason they can't headline. Right. I mean, what, what businessman is going to say, all right, this guy can draw money and be a top star, but he's a junior, so don't do it. I mean, no, you make money with the guy. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 2017. It's a new people in charge, so that could totally happen. All right, Lee JM seven one three asks. Um, let's see which one is okay. This is actually a pretty fun one. Here, uh, should the great Muda have won the NWA World Title in the late '80s at the height of his popularity in the United States? Uh, no, because he was there in. He did nine months in 1989, and if you think back on 1989. In hindsight, why would you change anything about that company in 1989? Because that was the uh, that great Ric Flair year where he traded the title at Ricky Steamboat, and that transitioned into the Terry Funk feud. So in hindsight, where would a Muda title run have fit in? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and yeah, I, I liked him being a little bit more mysterious and whatnot too. You know, going back and watching that, I wasn't you know alive, of course, at the, or I was alive, but you know, two, I wasn't watching you know my NWA uh, on, on TBS. But no, I, I don't think it would have ever worked. I, I kind of, I thought they did. You know, honestly, I know this is kind of, I, I well, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I thought they did a fantastic job doing just what he did. Exactly. I think exactly. To do as much as they did with a great Muda, even in 1989, is is you know knowing what American you know audiences think of of foreign workers and what American you know wrestlers and American promoters think of Japanese wrestlers and uh, those guys. For him to go as far as he did in that year, I, I thought was amazing. And and no, I think they did everything you could possibly do with him in nine months. I mean, yeah. I thought he killed it, and I thought it was perfect. I mean, he was a top guy. I mean, he worked matches and programs with all the top guys, and I think he was instrumental in helping get... Yeah, he feuded with Luger, Flair, Sting. and Sting that year, right? He, like, he Jesus was, Christ. He yeah. instrumental in helping to get Sting over. That was a huge feud for Sting, the great Muda feud. And, you know, Muda was at the television title level, and I thought that was a good level for him because it wasn't... You know, he wasn't... You know, they weren't burying him on, on you know... Uh, on their syndicated shows, he was a big deal. He was working major pay-per-view matches. He was feuding with top guys. He had, um, he was involved in major programs. He was, uh, he was at, in the round Robin tournament deal at, uh, whatever show that was, uh, you know, with flair sting and, and, and Luger that year. Um, I, I forget the name of the show. Um, but, but I mean, no, a, a world title run for him just didn't fit. And I don't think, I think he was, like you said, he was utilized perfectly. I mean, that run, I mean, no one, no one dislikes that '89 Muda run. I mean, that that it was only nine months, and it feels like he was there for nine years because he was such an important cog that year. And what was like, yeah, nine months seems like crazy because I mean, when, when you think of the great Muda, one of the you know, or I think Keiji Muda in general, I go my mind immediately goes to that run, and yeah. it's nine months of this entire of this guy's career, Amer- which yeah. you know, twenty five plus year career. Or whatever. If you're an American yeah. wrestling fan, this is a Hall of Fame wrestler who had a Hall of Fame career who still wrestles now and then. But if you're an American wrestling fan who wasn't like a t- – you instantly think of that. That was a great run. That was one of the great excursions of all t- – it was the I'm gonna best. Go, I'm going to go – now I want to. I really want to watch some 89. You, Rich, so, watch uh, – I'm doing that when we're done with this. Watch yeah. 89 start to finish. It will take you a couple weeks. Just watch everything on the network from 89. I got about – I think I got about a third of the way through and then I, I, I fell off. Uh, but I'm, I might have to go back and do that because I, I remember enjoying it to the point I was. But yeah, let, let, I should – 
definitely do that. One of Flair's greatest years. I mean, and and you get the Flair Steamboat matches. You get the Flair Funk stuff that it transitioned to later. You get all the Muda Sting stuff. You got Luger in there. The tag stuff was good. It was a good year. Watch all the clashes. Watch all the pay-per-views. Um, I did that. That was one of the first things I did on one of my first rewatch projects on the network was rewatching that eight, 1989. And I watched start to finish. And it's, there's a ton of good stuff. And I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. Honestly, I wouldn't change a thing about what they did with Muda. I think that was, you could argue, I don't even think, I think that's the greatest excursion of all time in terms of, um, you know, guys who came here from Japan on a learning excursion and, and just, uh, and just, and, and, and what they did in America as far as getting over and those sorts of things. So no, I would not have put the title on him. It would have disrupted all of the great booking that went on that year, at least from a creative and aesthetic perspective, even if, you know, yeah, it's, it's such a cool year too. I'm trying, I'm thinking back and I'm actually looking back at this one. I remember I started with the St. Valentine's day massacre, the class of champions five. Yeah. I remember I watched maybe the next three, um, class of the champions or whatever, but I remember that first one, it was like the Road Warriors teaming with Tenru or something like that. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. And then uh, the next one was the Raging Cajun. And that one's got that awesome Steamboat Flare match. And it's yes. also got uh, Muda uh, against Steve Casey. I think he beats him in like eight minutes or yeah, whatever. And then... Yeah, Muda runs through a couple jobbers uh, when he first shows up. And yeah, those matches are cool, though. Cause it's, yeah, oh no, it's great. He's yeah. a totally different style than everybody else at the time. And, and yeah, those are cool matches. That's yeah, good stuff. Yeah, eighty nine is the best. And it's like, but but the thing, like, what a lot of people don't remember is, is Steamboat was kind of a flop in the Flair feud because, uh, business wise, I mean, because it's like, the those fans saw Flair as the cool one, you know. It's like Steamboat was this dork bringing out his baby, you know, with his with his uh, conservative looking wife and all that. And Flair was this cool guy with like broads on his shoulders, and you know, like, so Flair ended up getting over. Which is why they had to turn Flair and, and you know, the Funk feud, you know, that, then it led into the Funk thing where Funk uh, – um, did you ever see the angle where Funk – Yeah, we put him through the table, yeah. Yeah, like was... he was like the – he asked for the title match and he was like the judge and, and, and then he asked Flair politely for the title match and Flair kind of blew him off and, and uh, he's like, look, man – I loved Flair's answer to him because he was like, look – no disrespect, Terry, but you haven't wrestled in, in months or years or whatever it was. He's like, you're not a top contender. You got to get in line. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I think he said you're, you got to be in the because they had that the running top ten yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you need to get to the you know get in the top ten and then we'll talk or something. Yeah, like that. And so. it was such a great blow off line, you know. And then Funk attacks him, and that was just such a great angle. And then they had one of the rare I quit matches that I didn't hate. You know what I mean? Because I don't like the I quit step, but they had a really good one. Well, because the, the I quit step now is like shove a microphone in a guy's face every two seconds. It's like, terrible. You know, it's fucking terrible. It's Nobody likes that. Terrible. You know, they, they hit a they hit a hip toss and then the referee, do you quit? It's like, no. Yeah. And then the guy is, you know, he's breathing. No. no well, first he breathes heavy. <laughs> no. It's like we're two seconds in the match. After, like, after a standard vertical suplex, they're like sticking right. the mic in the guy's face and he breathes heavy and. Hell no! And then the match, yeah. it's like, and just rinse, repeat for 20 minutes. They're the worst matches. I mean, so, they're just yeah. terrible. Um, but yeah, so yeah, 89, uh, yeah, Muda, no way, man. I wouldn't have changed anything about that year, you know, so I would have kept everything the same. All right, Suplex Barry asks, uh, inspired by the recent article on Dragon Gate's Kotoka from uh, Milo Martinez, nice. they wrote on the site, um, which I enjoyed, by the way. This That was an incredible article, so definitely check that out. Milo wrote really good stuff here, uh, which I really enjoyed reading. Is there somebody in wrestling, current or past, who isn't an all-time great, jump off the screen megastar, but who is a personal favorite of yours simply for that unique personal connection you have said have to said wrestler? Uh, that's a great article. Everyone should read it. Absolutely, um, yeah. The, the 
the point of the article, if you haven't read it, which relates to the question, is Katoka is just an undercard prelim guy and, um, you know, isn't pushed. And is, is it safe to say never will be? I mean, uh, no, he's never. I mean, yeah, Katoka's never that's... getting a big push. I mean, you know, he had a brave gate run, but it was more of a joke thing. Remember, he got the upset win over Tazawa. Remember to end Tazawa's great brave gate run. Remember Tazawa said he was going to hold the title forever. And, yeah, which actually it was actually a really sweet um, angle that they pulled. Yeah. But yeah, that was it wasn't because it, it wasn't because he earned it or he did, it was like a, oh my god, can you believe that this geek beat Tazawa? I mean, that's how it was. It was a for, it was a for, rare wrestling upset that came off like an upset and didn't come off right, like exactly. some contrived fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like and to, the way Tazawa sold it and everything. So I mean, that's that's I mean, Katoka's never a guy that's gonna like win the Dream Gate or anything. And the, the whole point of the article is how uh, Milo relates to Katoka on a number of different levels. I mean, you should just read it because it goes through all of Katoka's past booking and uh, and and how Milo just relates to this character. So I don't think that I have an answer for this because I don't know if I relate to any wrestling character the way that Milo uh, related to, to uh, Katoka. So um, I, I don't know. I, I like wrestlers. I mean, there's under-the-radar wrestlers who, who the kind of wrestlers I enjoy are people like uh, – Maybe someone like Tommy Rogers would be a good answer, or uh, a guy like Bobby Fish, or or um, Doug uh, um, uh, Phil Lef- uh, Phil Lafon slash Dan Crawford. I mm-hmm. always like I like these kind of guys who are uh, maybe they're uh, they're not the most charismatic guys, but they work hard, and their gimmicks are sort of uh, these no nonsense guys who may not be the most talented, but they give everything in the ring and, and, and they bust their ass and they're hardworking because those are the kind of athletes I like too, right? Like I like athletes who leave it all out there. Even if they might not necessarily be the best athletes, they make a lot of money. We pay a lot of money to watch them. All I ever ask is effort. You know, I like effort. So I like these wrestling characters who are all effort. So mm-hmm. that's maybe the closest comparison that I can make. Tomohiro Ishii is a perfect example, but I think he's too big of a star to relate to this question. Right. Yeah. For, for me, it's, it, it is tough. Cause yeah, when you talk about uh, someone that's not an all time great and, and this answer, uh, you know, for me, I don't know that I have like that sort of connection. Like, like you said, I don't know if I necessarily see myself in wrestlers ever. You know, I've been a big wrestling fan forever, but I, I, I don't know that there's ever been a moment or a wrestler that I've said, oh, my God, they represent me. Right. They represent exactly what I think. I get invested in a lot of wrestlers' stories, but not because I see myself in them. I'm just invested in the story, and I think it's a really fun story. It's a really cool story. I've never – and, and that's not to say it might not happen. It could happen at some point, but, you know, I haven't been as lucky as Milo to say that is a wrestler that, oh, my God, I can watch them on the screen, and they, they relate to me. They are me. I can see myself in them. I've just never really quite had that. For me, my wrestler that I've always enjoyed is the underdog, and that's why El Generico is one of my favorites ever because that was a guy who just was an underdog. He was just he, he shouldn't have he didn't fit in, he shouldn't have fit in, and there was no reason for him. And it's just like those sort of guys and watching them rise up, rise up, and, and eventually, you know, Generico becoming a big deal and becoming a star um, in, in both NXT and and Ring of Honor because they told very similar stories in, in both companies as well. And those were some of my favorite stories ever. But again, I don't know if he works for this because. 
you know, when I got invested in El Generico, he was just kind of a guy on the bottom of the card or whatever. But then when, it, when I saw the story through, he became a little bit bigger. And now I feel like it's, you can't really say him anymore because, you know, he, he has become a big deal and he won the title in NXT or whatever. And he's kind of a big deal in WWE now as well. But yeah, I, I, I struggle with the question. And, and I guess that's something that I don't know that every single person is going to have one of those people. I think you have to, there's got to be rare instances like Milo where, where you say that wrestler represents me. And that's a really deeply personal thing. And if you read that article, you'll, you'll see how deeply personal it is, the connection between uh, Kotaku and, and Milo. So, yeah, and I don't have that. And, I'm, I, you know, that's not to say I'm jealous or upset or whatever. I just don't know that I've ever said, yes, that wrestler is me. You know, I've just, mm-hmm. yeah, never happened. So that's, all right. But definitely read it. Go on the article, voiceofwrestling.com, read it right now. So, um, okay, yes, this is a good one from Empire SK. Uh, from our forums, of course, voicesofwrestling.com slash forums, if you ever want to ask any questions here. Uh, he says, how big of an impact do you think Flow Slam has had on the industry, and do you think it is worth the $20 per month? Okay, well, Rich, are you a Flow Slam subscriber? Uh, I was. I am not currently. So then you do not think it's worth $20 per month? I do not. No. I am not a Flow Slam subscriber I, because I do not think it's worth $20 a month. I don't think the only – I do not think uh, you know a, a monthly Evolve weekend is worth 20 bucks a month, so I do not uh, subscribe to Flow. Every now yeah. and then, I will – Yeah, I'm just, I've been jumping in and out. That's what I mean, I'll if do. if there's a good Evolve weekend, I, I'll yeah. jump in. Then but, I'll yeah. purchase it, and then, but I don't – yeah, like if the Evolve weekend doesn't look particularly good, I skip it and I don't pay for it. So uh, you know that's where I am with that. Um, you know, But I, it, it's – no, there's nothing else because until they sign up some more companies and – look – I'm not handing them $20 a month every single month for Evolve shows and then a random once-in-a-blue-moon OTT show. I can't do it. I can't justify it. So there's just too much other wrestling out there to pay for. So, no, I do not think it's worth $20 a month. Yeah, and the, and the archives, I, I haven't been very happy with because that was one of the things yeah, that I was really I mean, invested in is the archives. Get the archives up. Yeah, I mean, if there was every DGUSA show ever, um, we'll talk, but yeah. – there isn't so I we haven't that talked yeah that'd be a right. cool thing to rewatch especially like i the, the first are. thing i wanted to do when flow slam was there and they said oh we're gonna put all this old da, 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 or whatever i was like cool you know my one of my favorite stories in wrestling and not because i was you know deeply connected to the person uh was the johnny gargano story of him in, in dg usa you know kind of coming up as as a prelim guy and then winning that title and then his heel turn and that sort of stuff i was like you know what that was awesome i really like to rewatch that because you know now with the eyes knowing where the story's going it'd be a little bit more interesting to kind of see it but yeah no can't do it so yeah Poor job. That's, yeah. Bad job out of them. They got to get that stuff up. Uh, another question from Empire SK. He says, uh, speaking of Evolve, uh, what do you think Evolve slash WN needs to do to get to the next level? They have cards that are currently uh, PWG level of super indie, but they barely break the bubble in terms of interest. I do have to disagree with the PWG uh, level of super indie. I disagree that Evolve is that. And I don't think Evolve ever has been that. I think Evolve is pretty good at booking kind of their own style of thing. I don't, I don't, when I think of super indie, I think like, hey, here's a bunch of really cool guys we booked from across the country. They're going to come and have some fun little matches here and there. Like, I don't necessarily think, because Evolve tries to see matches and, and feuds through a little bit more yeah. than what I would consider a quote super Does indie. Does anyone give a shit about a P, any PWG storyline? No, I don't even the, know. The, I mean, maybe like the Super Dragons, you know what I mean? Like, that's about I'm not, it. I'm even not that, even like, sure that PWG super fans care about the storylines. They're there to see cool matches. Let's right, they're there to drink a pitcher of beer and, and yeah. see sweet. The appeal is to go there and to see cool matches and to see guys do really cool fucking things. Um, that's the appeal, you know. I mean, I know they have storylines, and I, 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 they don't really though. They've, they've no, loose, they really they have don't. Yeah, storyline. Right. There's no undercard development or anything like that. I mean, they have they have title storylines is what they have. 
Um, but yeah, so no, I, I agree with you. I don't consider it a super indie in that same sense. No, I don't think it's, I think wrestle circus is a super indie. I think that thing in Vancouver that's starting up is a super indie. That's not going to last very long. <laughs> no. Um, so, I mean, you know, those are super indies. Um, you know, it's, yeah, there's, there's a W to some is extent. A super, it's a super yeah, indie. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, even they have much better, um, storyline development than PW. They do. Yeah. PWG doesn't need to have that. No, it's drawing. Just, yeah, they the sell out. In t- they sell out in 20 seconds. And then a bunch of people come and drink pitchers of beer and, and watch Ricochet do silly stuff. Whatever they're doing is working. I'm not knocking right. them, so, but uh, you know, it's not a promotion. If you want, if, if you want to make a deep connection with Katoka, you got to go to Dragon Gate for that. You're not going to do that ever with a PWG wrestler. Right. Um, but yeah, what do they have to do to get to the next level? I don't think there is a next level for them. What I mean, what what's the... We've, we've talked about that again. Yeah, we, we've reached a point in this pro wrestling world where the even if they became the quote number two, what is the number two right now? And what is the number two ever going to be ever again? And, you know, just from us talking to Gabe and, and getting to know Gabe a little bit, I think he's realistic about his place in wrestling, and I don't. Sure, he, he's not a guy who's delusional. He doesn't have delusions of grandeur. He knows what his what his deal is. He's found a way to make a lot of money now, and good for him. And um, he cut that great deal. And um, I, he's he's from talking to him, he's definitely not a guy who's delusional. He's very realistic. Uh, he knows his place. Uh, he knows his his slot. And um, I don't think there that there is there is no next level for them. I don't think I you know it's it's he's always been a guy realistic realistic about his place in the world. You know he doesn't try to hoard talent. He lets them go when it's time for them to go. He's always looking for the next guy. Uh, that's something that is a Gabe strength. I think I think knowing what his lane is is one of Gabe's great strengths. He's got some weaknesses. He's got like everyone yeah. else. He has strengths and weaknesses. One of his strengths is Gabe knows his lane and he stays in it. And, yeah, absolutely. And 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 he's done. He's been. He's obviously. You can't say he hasn't been he, that. You know that 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 big deal he got from Flow Slam. Great for him. You know that was payoff for a lot of years of hard work. And uh, yeah, I I, I think uh, there is no next level for for WWE. Yeah, I, I I don't know that. Yeah, where where do they go? What do they do? I mean, yeah, you could say, oh well, they need to do this. They need to do that. They need to invest in this and invest in that or whatever. And I, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe they probably do, but do they? Yeah, I mean, if they don't, yeah. Bomb Gabe Sapolsky. Okay, my goal is to make sure that Flow Slam re-ups that deal when it's over, and do whatever it takes to serve. Yeah, him. or exists, or exists. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, and and part of that though, you know, WWN is going to be the reason that Flow Slam still exists. You know, the one. So when I say that, you know, I would ensure that that deal gets renewed. I would do that by putting on awesome cards, um, always staying ahead of the curve with talent. Um, you know, upgrading production, maybe um, all of those things to ensure that that guys like us subscribe. Rich, we say this all the time. We should be no brainer subscribers to that service. And the fact that we're not means that everyone involved is dropping the ball. And and, you know, if I'm Gabe Sapolsky, my my long term business goal is to make sure that guys like us and everyone listening to this podcast, this kind of wrestling fan, is subscribing to Flow. Because if they are, he's going to get another deal. And if we're not, that deal is going to expire and Flow Slam is no longer going to exist. You know, my goal would be I want another multi-million dollar deal. And I would do everything to try to get it. So, um, in my opinion, is that happening? I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's a topic for another show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Uh, we want more of that. Um, asks, which wrestlers do you think have the best ring gear? He says, I know Joe always talks about a guy with kick pads and no boots, but besides him, who has the worst? Talking major wrestling company workers, not local indie guys. So let's let's start off with uh, who do you think has the best gear in wrestling? Well, he's talking, Joe, about, that... he's talking about Hikaru Sato with the kick yes. pads and, and Mike Bailey. Those are the two prominent guys. Uh, speedball, the two guys who wear kick pads with no boots. I think that's the shindiest looking shit. And it, 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 in the case of Sato, it kills his matches for me. With, with his haircut, with that shitty haircut and his <laughs> shitty looking tights and his shitty kick pads with no boots. Look, I, I know I'm coming off like a, like a snob, but Rich, the aesthetics are important in wrestling. They fucking matter. And the guy looks like a fucking – he just looks like shit. And it takes me out of his matches. I don't like his wrestling style to begin with. I'm not. Yeah, that doesn't help. That probably doesn't help either. Because I'm not I'm, crazy I'm not... about the way he wrestles. Yeah. I mean, I think the guy's kind of boring. But his look isn't helping. And and you know, and and Speedball Mike Bailey. I mean, I, I like him better than Sato. I I think he's slightly overrated as a worker. I still think he's a little sloppy and those sorts of things. To be fair, I haven't seen much of him this year because he's a DDT wrestler and I don't subscribe to their service. Um, but he's another guy. I think, you know, Speedball, when he was coming up with those no boots and the kick pads, I mean, he it, it, it comes – we talked about, the, you know, a star aura. You can't have a star aura when I'm wondering as a viewer if you can afford boots or not. Now, I know that's not why he doesn't wear them. But if you're going to wear kick pads, I'm sorry you have to have boots because it looks like you can't afford boots. That's what you're telling the fans. It just looks bad to me. Um, as far as guys with great ring gear, I gotta think on that. Do you have any obvious ones that? You're... Yeah, my I think I, I was kind of thinking about this a little bit earlier. I think my number one, I, I think Pentagon Junior nailed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 